Holm, Ryan Pinder, and Pat Steinberg talking sports, pop culture, life, and anything else. Your afternoon diversion is right here. Stream online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Download the Sportsnet or Radio Player Canada apps. Pinder and Steinberg are on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. If you're a Flames fan, goaltending coach Jordan Sigalette gave you some good news yesterday when it comes to the injury status of David Riddick. We found out very early on in the sports apocalypse that Riddick had been dealing with an elbow injury leading up to the pause and leading up to the NHL shutting down. Well, here's uh, the latest from Jordan Sigalette, and it's good news for David Riddick. He's 100%, and it was just, you know, just more of something nagging him than a, a major injury and something he just played through, and it's not going to affect him long term. So I think it's going to be interesting to have, you know, all these teams rested and all these players that were injured, you know, going going into the break are all healthy now. So it's going to be even playing field, and it's going to be an exciting time when it does come back. So Jordan Sigaled says David Riddick at 100%. He was dealing with some bruising in his elbow and some stretched tendons, and uh, he had revealed to NHL.com that he had gotten an injection, a plasma injection, just before he went back to the Czech Republic where he is right now, and he's been in the Czech Republic uh, since, I believe, late March. And uh, ever since then, he's been working out and been able to get on the ice, so on and so forth, and, and getting ready for a probable return to action so Riddick's at 100% Cam Talbot had really found his game in the final two months or so of the year before the pause and both goalies uh, I would suggest make a pretty compelling case to be the guy when the puck drops on the restart of the NHL season as we welcome you to the program it's uh, Pat Steinberg Peter Klein Logan Gordon along with you on this Wednesday afternoon who do you go with in game one against the Winnipeg Jets are you ready to make that declaration right now I'm ready to say which way I'd be leaning towards I'm ready to say that because by the time the puck drops, so let's say that August 1st is the first game that we see a, a game between the Flames and the Jets, just a, a ballpark date. So August 1st is the first day, and the last time the Flames played was March 8th. So we're talking about eh, five months between games for the Calgary Flames, a little less than five months, which is bonkers when you right. think about it. But five games, five months before game between games. Cam Talbot would have been the guy I was leaning towards leading into the break and, and had things continued the way they were in down the stretch of the season. Yeah, I would have leaned towards Talbot. Well, there's a five-month break in the season. I'd be leaning towards David Riddick for my night one starter as it stands right now. I'd be leaning towards the guy that I think at his best is still the highest-end guy the Flames have on their team right now. When Riddick is at his best and when he's playing to his peak, I think he is... I think his his caliber or his ability to steal games is slightly higher than Talbot's. So, yeah, before the break, I would have gone Talbot because Talbot is the guy who had been playing better for a two-month stretch. When you put a five-month break in between there, Klein, it, it certainly changes things a little bit, and that's why I lean a little bit more towards David Riddick if we're talking about dropping the puck on a restart to the season. So a few reasons for me. He's the guy who signed next year. He's the guy that has the better chance of being the guy long-term. And as I said, for a right-now standpoint, too, I also think when Riddick's at his best, it's a little better than when Talbot's at his best. It's close, and we've seen some really good uh, outings for Talbot so far this season. But 
I lean slightly towards David Riddick right now for when the Flames drop the puck for game one against the Winnipeg Jets. Yeah, and, and I do too. Um, you, you shouldn't be using a play-in series to get to the Stanley Cup playoffs as an experimental anything, but I, I think you kind of want to see how David Riddick handles this type of pressure and this type of spotlight. We really haven't seen him do that a, a whole lot. It was Mike Smith um, for the, the Colorado series. There was talk that maybe you should go with Riddick. Uh, I think Smith silenced a bit of those. But I, I want to see how Riddick handles that spotlight. I want to see how Riddick handles facing the same team on a night-in, night-out basis. See how he can handle the pressure of the, the Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, I, I'm, there are a number of compelling arguments. And when we talked yesterday about who could be your goalie going forward with the debate between Talbot and Riddick, everything that was in Talbot's favor is kind of gone away because, as you mentioned, we'll basically have a full offseason and then some in between games for the Flames. So the the momentum part of it, it, it just it simply doesn't matter. You don't go, well, I mean, Talbot played great in April, so uh, night one started in October. And that's basically what you're dealing with now with the, this type of break. So no, You're, ba uh, the, you're the basically back to square one, right? Exactly. Yeah, like it's basically opening night. Um, and so any momentum is completely lost for, for Cam Talbot. You get concerned about Riddick maybe not being able to make it through a full season. Well, that's certainly not going to be an issue after a five-month layoff. So any any check marks that were in, in Cam Talbot's favor, I think kind of go away now. Um, the, the, the interesting question for me, as we're both on the same page on this, how long of a leash do you give a David Riddick? If it's 5-1 Jets after game one, do you pull the plug on it and go Cam Talbot right away? That That's the interesting part for me is, is how, how long is that leash for one David Riddick? For me, it's not long. Um, and and yeah. because I, I think because he's never been in the postseason before, because Talbot has been in the postseason before and has succeeded in the postseason before. Look, Talbot was really good, and and save Ryan Kessler humping his leg in uh, in a and in, in, in the Ducks scoring goal that really shouldn't have counted. And this is not me showing sympathy for the Oilers. It's really not. But the Oilers should have won that series against the Ducks. Like, the Oilers should have been in the Western Conference Final a few years ago. Um, and and Talbot was a big reason why. I digress. I mean, for a Flames fan, it was like the, the lesser of two evils, or was it? The Oilers or the Ducks? The Flames fans despise both. From a strictly objective standpoint, the Ducks, the Ducks got pretty lucky and the Oilers got jobbed a couple of times in that series. But I digress. My point is, Talbot is succeeded in the playoffs before and and if Riddick does not give you confidence right from the get-go I don't think the leash is very short I think you lean Riddick right now because he was your night one opening starter in October he was the guy that you went with he was the guy that you felt was uh and and through the first part of the season um he was your guy and and the the, the guy that you leaned on to be your number one and that changed in the second half of the season but I just think that with everything back at square one and everything back on an even playing field, you go with the guy that you believe has the highest end or the the most capability of playing at an elite level. And, and I think that in a playoff series, in a best-of-five series, when so much matters in, in every single game, I think that guy is Riddick. And I'm a huge Talbot fan, and I'm, I, I, I still believe that um, Talbot is a, is a really important part of this group if they're going to have success against the Jets and success if they're able to make it into the 16-team tournament. I just for, – for Riddick – 
he's got the ability to be to, to play with the big boys. And we saw that in the first half of the season. He has the ability to be a top notch, I think, you know, top half of the league, top ten goaltender in this league when he's at his best. The problem is yeah. the consistency, the durability, and the ability to do it over an extended period of time. That's something that we haven't seen to this point, but we've seen over twenty, thirty, thirty five game stretches that this guy can be a top notch NHL goaltender. Yeah, and with Riddick, I mean, this team is not anywhere close to this spot without the start of the season that David Riddick has. It's, I mean, it's easy to forget that because by the time we're playing games again, it'll almost have been a full calendar year. But uh, David Riddick was by far the MVP for the Calgary Flames um, in the first half of the season. We, we were talking about how much is too much for David Riddick, and maybe that plays into some of the, the injury issues that they had because they were riding him a lot in the first part of the season. They evened it out in the back half with Cam Talbot stepping forward, but David Riddick was an all-star. Now, it took a couple of knocks to get him there, but still, he wasn't an undeserving all-star and didn't just get in because... Well, I mean, literally, he just got in because a couple people couldn't, but overall, he was very deserving, I think, of that all-star nod. And I, I think I'm, I'm with you at his best. When you just put, like, NHL 20 overall rankings side-by-side, side, like, I think David Riddick should be the one that you go with. There are a number of factors that play in throughout a season, but just in this, we've stopped for a while and now we come back. I think David Riddick at his best is is just a, a touch above a Cam Talbot at his best. Now, in saying that, how you asked the question about, you know, the 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 length of the leash how how long would it be for you would not be long for me um no i, I would be ready to make the chance again like here's here's the numbers from july 1st uh july 1st from january 1st until the pause so uh for about two and a half months uh cam talbot 14 starts 923 he was 93 and 1 david riddick 16 starts 895 and was 77 and 1 like in the calendar year of 2020 Cam Talbot was significantly better, and and that's why the talk of, well, David Riddick's the number one going forward, no questions asked, I don't think we're there yet because I don't think Riddick's proven that he can sustain his level over a full season as of yet. I, I don't think that that means he never will. I just think to this point in a couple full NHL seasons, he hasn't been able to show it yet. And because Talbot's confidence is back where the Flames want it to be, and because Talbot had been playing so well for a couple months in a row, I think it allows you to have a little bit of a shorter leash when it comes to Riddick, and it allows you to make that switch pretty quickly. If it was John Gillies, and this is, I'm not trying to knock John Gillies. I'm not trying to take an undue shot at him. But if you're going Gillies or or a, a less proven guy behind Riddick, then I think your leash right. is a whole lot longer. But in this case, I think you have the ability, if you're Jeff Ward, to make that switch rather quickly. Yeah, if it's Gillies or, or Zagadulin, if something happens to, to Cam Talbot, then the leash for Riddick becomes the, the length of the, the leash that uh, Elliot had uh, in that wondrous playoff run for the Flames um, uh, a few years ago. But for, for this one, it's a quick one. It's You, you better look good right away uh, because I, I have no problem going with Cam Talbot. So, no, I, I'm with you. It's, it's a pretty short leash. It might be... A game in game out decision might even be a period in period out decision as everything as we've talked about in the best of five becomes so amplified where one mistake and all of a sudden you could be in in some real trouble so I'm it's a very short leash with David Riddick um, and Cam Talbot for sure isn't it fun 
kicking off a program oh. with an actual hockey conversation, not about right. Well, I mean, here's what happened if they come back, and and I mean, maybe they'll they'll come back here, and then they could do this. And baseball is yelling at each other, and the players and the league isn't like we're actually talking about a real hockey conversation, and it's valid, and it's somewhere in the near future that that conversation and that decision will actually have to be made by the Flames. It feels pretty good that uh, we can have that conversation, and it's not just spitballing about uh, a season that might or might not return. I think we're all pretty confident that hockey will return. I think especially out here in the West where things have been trending very optimistically for better part of two months now. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that there's there's a great deal of optimism out here, and I just it's it's fun to have these conversations, and we're going to have another one in just a second. Welcome to the program. Pinder and Steinberg is underway on this Wednesday. He's Peter Klein. Logan Gordon is at the Basement Systems downtown studio. My name is Pat Steinberg. Uh, we're up on your AM dial at 960 AM. We're uh, online at sportsnet.ca slash 960. You can catch us on your uh, smart speaker at home, just say, hey, Google, play Sportsnet 960, the fan on the Radio Player Canada app, and uh, make sure you check in with us if you're so inclined to watch our radio program. You can do so. We stream this show every day, uh, good chunks of it every day on Instagram Live. Uh, come on and say hi on Instagram as well, at Steinberg1984. A uh, couple of texts at 960-960. Um, so this reads, uh, Riddick was hurt again. Is this guy a Band-Aid or what? Should we be concerned? I, th- I I don't know, Kleiner, if it's concern as of yet, but I do think it's something that the Flames are aware of. I do think it's something that needs to be in the back of their mind at some point or, or, or when, they, when they talk about his long-term. Look, guys, there, we've seen plenty of guys who go through a spat of injuries um, during the, the first part of their career and then become durable and never have to worry about that again. We also see guys like Sammy Salo who just always got injured. So, like, there's it's, – it's too early to say whether or not Riddick is, is injury prone. I think that's it's, – it's too early in his NHL career to say that this guy isn't durable. Yes, he has had injuries the last three seasons, but whether or not that means that he is injury prone, I think it's too early to say. Yeah, uh, I – Sorry, I wasn't expecting a Sammy Salo reference at any point in the show today, but um, no, I'm full it, of surprises, Klein. Oh yeah, no, that one, that one got me a little bit. Um, it, it's not, it's not a red flag, but it's an eyebrow raised. It's okay. This is becoming a, a bit of a thing. Well, let's let's keep an eye on this for sure, because whether it's um, having injury issues or just playing wearing down as the season goes on, this is uh, a bit of a concern for a guy who you want to potentially put a lot of your future into at a position that we've talked about a lot, whether it be with the redraft or whether it be with Dustin Wolf conversations over the last couple of weeks. This is a very unpredictable uh, position and when you have a guy who when he's at his peak looks like someone who could stabilize that position for you for a while and you have that guy start to go down with injuries and it starts to be a concern it's just an ad- added variable in, in such an unpredictable situation already so no it's it, it's definitely like it, it's a it's a note on the, the scouting page for David Riddick for sure Mike writes, fresh David Riddick can look like an elite goaltender. Ride him as far as you can, then go Talbot once he inevitably fades. Uh, This reads, nobody thinks that Talbot might be the starter five years from now, but Riddick might be. I think Riddick needs to be given the chance. Um... This reads, David Riddick was never the same after the bad loss to Edmonton. Hopefully he comes back strong. Um, And I, I, I don't think that that is 
incorrect. I mean, it seemed it seemed like things, and, and I think it's sometimes convenient to point to one game and say that's what, that's what did it, but a lot of people pointed to the stick flip game, the shootout win in Edmonton as to when Riddick's game started to tail off. Um, this reads, the layoff is the great unknown as well. Hellebuck is probably going to win the Vesna, but he could come back after a long layoff and be horse bleep for five games also. It's going to be tough to judge guys on this really weird set of circumstances. Uh, no doubt about it. Um, this, absolutely loving the real hockey talk this afternoon, boys. And honestly, we no longer need to mention John Gillies' name ever again. <laughs> somebody somebody wonders if I was talking about Tommy Sallow. Just thought since you were chatting goalies. No, I did mean Sammy Sallow because is there a better example of an injury-prone NHL player than Sammy Sallow? Like, he is the poster Ooh. child for a guy who just, it didn't matter what the circumstance he was going to be injured. He would always miss yeah. 25 or 30 games in a given season. I just feel like he's the poster child for being injured in the NHL. I mean, you, you know I appreciate the reference. So, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm sure if I put my, like, actually put my mind to it, I could come up with maybe a, a player who's a touch more relevant to the NHL today than, uh, than Sammy Sallow. Don't you but, dare. Um, but, <laughs> but otherwise, no, that's, it's, a, it's a solid poll. I like it. Um, this, uh, what a why shot. do you guys, this is, this is, I, this is just going to, I, I know the things that get under Klein's skin, and this one is about to crawl right up in there. Uh, why do you guys think that putting so much pressure on the goalies is going to make them better? So just for a second, this text it goes on about how we, we shouldn't be talking about this. This is not going to help the goalies and putting too much pressure on them. What? Each guy makes $2.75 million dollars. They're paid $2.75 million per season because they are the peak of their profession. They are one of the .0001% of their position in the world. Um, they have gotten to this point because they are as mentally dialed in and have very thick skins on top of their incredible like .001 percentile athletic ability. I don't think two guys sitting in their homes talking about who is going to be the number one goalie in a play-in series in August is putting undue pressure on them. So I know the yeah. text that get under Klein's skin. I feel like this might be one of them. Yeah, um, maybe not as much uh, as you might think, but uh, I'm just I'm in a chill mood today. But no, uh, like it, it, you're when you're getting that much money and you're in a position of being a national hockey league goalie that the expectation is that you're going to be uncommon amongst uncommon people. And at the end of this, if this goes really well for you, they carve your name into a trophy that at worst sits in a museum forever, but at best gets hauled around the world for a while. So yeah, there's a bit of pressure. I would hope that a conversation between a, a guy who's sitting beside a Kawhi Leonard painting and a dude who's sitting in front of a Jerome Ginla stuffed an or a stuffed toy, I hope that's not too much pressure on the dude. I, I If that is, there's a big problem here. I'm going to go out on a limb and say he's going to be fine with any undue pressure that we have brought toward him uh, on this, the 10th of June, 2020. Um, this, this reads, is the show carried in the Czech Republic? No, uh, David Riddick's oh, a big... 
No, it, we, it doesn't. We doesn't get as far as the Czech Republic. I think that our signal cuts off right around uh, right around Germany. I think somewhere in central Germany, mm-hmm. as far as we can go east. Um, <laughs> so no, I don't believe the show is carried in the Czech Republic. Although David Riddick probably uh, tunes in online or on Instagram Live, he's probably always dialed into the show. Uh, this reads. Hell, Pat makes a small percentage of what an NHL goalie makes, and people tell him he sucks every day. And that doesn't affect my performance, does it? And I'm not even a high-level athlete or anything close. Um, right. Plus, I'm any not a high-level athlete. Exactly. Plus, any athlete who feels pressure by the media usually doesn't follow it anyhow. Not like every athlete is forced to read, watch media. Exactly. Like, if, if you are rattled by this stuff, usually guys then tune it out because, well... That's the best way to go about it. Also got a right. couple of people um, responding to me saying the Oilers got jobbed in, in that uh, second-round like series that. against the Anaheim Ducks in what, that was 2016, I believe that was the year. Uh, would that be correct? Yeah, it would have been, 20... so. no, been 2017. No, it was the 16-17 season, right? Right. So Flames made it, missed, and then we're back in 2018-19. So, yeah, second-round 2017. Uh, somebody goes... Two things can be true at the same time. The Oilers got jobbed. It was hilarious. That's, yeah, that's I like point. that one. Uh, and then Wedley writes, Pat, where's your Rem Murray poster, you Oiler, Oiler homer? Kidding. Uh, in a best of five, leash, uh, leash is short for sure on Big Save Dave. I do Rem Murray and uh, Todd Marchant to the, the two Oilers posters that I have up here at home. As, I mean, mm. Why wouldn't I? They're, they're two That'd incredible Oilers. I'm kidding. Okay, just- if anybody's just tuning in right now, I'm kidding. Um, if you want to know the, the texts that get under my skin, it's the, the, the response, the, the rebuttal to our conversation mocking the, the pressure argument, saying, um, I get it, but our job as fans should be to get the most out of them. That gets under your skin, hey? Yeah, yeah. When, when like, look, if you believe that that is your job, that just telling them, go out there and try your best is, is, is your job as a fan – Go nuts. Sure. Um, it ain't our job, though. A, I'm not a Flames fan. Um, sorry. Uh, but but B, it, it's not my job to just build these guys up all the time. We're not going to come on after a, a 6-1 loss and go, you know what, though? Boy, did they work hard in the face-off circle. Like, look, they only lost to the, by 20% in the face-off circle. That, it, it ain't our job. That ain't this show. We're not going to, to just blindly build everyone up just for the sake of blinding build, blindly building everyone up. The other thing that gets under Klein's skin on the text line is when somebody says, hey, talk about this. And say, well, no, we, we just did talk. Hey, you guys are talking about this, but you should be talking about this. That also right. rattles Klein a little bit. Yeah, that one bugs me a little bit too. Um, so that's a little bit of the response on the text line. Always open to you at 960-960. It's funny, we played that clip from Jordan Sigalet and, and just a, a little quick segment, still real hockey talk, all real hockey talk to, to, to kick off the program today. But he talked about how fascinating it's going to be about players that are healthy and teams that are healthy and how really we're starting from square one and, and how it's going to give us some great hockey. I just went and did a little bit of a, it wasn't even a deep dive. It was just a, a little bit of a, a, a shallow toe in the water as to what some of these rosters could look like. You go and take a look at, again, NHL shut down March 12th, and it's going to resume, we're thinking, sometime early August. So if that's if that's the case, we're talking about give or take five months, a little bit less than five months between NHL games. 
That's a that's a significant amount amount of time to rest up and get healthy if you were an injured NHL player. For instance, these are teams that will be playing in the 24-team relaunch. Uh, the Flames haven't had Travis Hamonic since February 9th. Now, he was going to return in their game against the New York Islanders when the season got shut down, so that was going to happen anyway. But Hamonic will now be 100% healthy from that, that rib cartilage thing he was dealing with. Uh, how about the Carolina Hurricanes? They've got the yeah. opportunity of getting three of their top six defensemen back. Dougie Hamilton, who was in the Norris conversation, been out since mid-January. Sammy Votnin, who they acquired at the trade deadline, has yet to play with the Hurricanes because he'd been out since early February. And Brett Pesci had been out since uh, late February. So there's three of their top six defensemen. How about how about the Columbus Blue Jackets? That So much has been made about how injured oh. they've been. They could have Brandon Dubinsky, Josh Anderson, Seth Jones, Cam Atkinson, Nathan Gerby, among others, back in their lineup when they resume. Jake Gensel could be back for Pittsburgh. Uh, Jacob Markstrom could be back for Vancouver. Uh, Mikko Ranton and Philip Grubauer. Nazem Kadri could be back for Colorado. Like We're talking about significant franchise-altering or, or season-altering returns because mm-hmm. of this four-and-a-half, five-month break that is going to end up being taken. Like... It, it completely alters the entire the the entire way you look at this thing. You almost have to throw in a lot of ways some of these standings right out the window when we return and when we hopefully return in yeah. in a few months here. Well, and that's why I think the discussion that this championship, whoever wins it, it's going to mean less than other championships before. This is the main argument for me as to, to why I think that's a pretty baloney argument. Sorry for the language. Um, you but, watch uh, I your just... mouth. <laughs> yeah, pardon me. Or I will hit um, you with but... a salami. Oh, no. Wash my mouth out with soap. Um, I'm going to need uh, Logan to isolate. I'll hit you with a salami at some point, too. But no, um, my you, you have... You have all these teams that are going to be 100% healthy. That never happens when you're going into the playoffs. There's always players who are beat up or banged up or or just straight up injured. Um, And now you have all these teams that are going to be essentially 99% healthy. I I think it's an added layer that makes this so much more difficult and and such a a much more intriguing tournament to watch because it's not, well, yeah, I mean, they're, they're, they're in, but Carolina doesn't really have their top three defensemen. So that's a bit of a, uh, it's, it's everyone basically. I'm I'm sure there are a couple of injuries that aren't going to be healed by this time, but this is, this is going to be extremely competitive for the, the reasons you just outlined couple of people asking about Yusuf Alamaki for the Flames and Noah Hannafin. I, Hannafin had a minor injury. He wasn't going to play in that game against the Islanders, but it was a minor injury, so Hannafin will be fine. Hamannick will be back. A couple of people asking about um, Yusuf Alamaki. Brad Tree Living, on one of his weekly conference calls, I want to say about a month ago, a little less than a month ago, was asked about that and, and essentially said, I think Francis asked him, is there a chance that Valimaki could be part of the restart? And he said, yeah, there's a chance. I think physically Valimaki would be ready. The, the problem is, is from some of the intel that I've, I've been led to believe that the Flames wanted him to be off, you know, away from competitive hockey and away from game action for a calendar year. So that could be part of it. And he got injured in mid-August, I believe. Uh, and the other thing is, the understanding is that 
if Valimaki plays this season, he will be eligible for the expansion draft, which means they'd have to protect him. Uh, so if they could not play him this year um, and, and continue with the plan to keep him out of competitive action for a calendar year, then he wouldn't uh, have to be protected in the expansion draft. He'd be exempt, which would be a pretty which would be a pretty big feather in the cap for the team. So those are the two things. Yeah. My guess is Valimaki will not be part of it. Uh, they've got enough in terms of defenseman depth. Uh, right now, from what I understand, teams are working on the assumption there's going to be 28 uh, forwards and defensemen that will be part of the roster when they relaunch, plus goalies. So I think around 31 players is what we're talking about. 28 skaters, three goalies. Um, and I don't, my, my guess would be Valimaki might be on that roster, might be one of the 10 or 11 defensemen they take, but probably wouldn't play just because him playing would ruin his expansion draft eligibility. And why, why do it if you don't have to? They're deep enough on the blue line as it is. And, and so my, my guess is Valimaki will not play with the Flames until next season. Yeah, after you go out and get um, Eric Gustafson at the trade deadline, this team is pretty well set up depth-wise. There could have been an argument that is he one of the six best defensemen on the team when at his best? Uh, Maybe, possibly. I I think he's going to be very, very soon. And I think the world of this kid in terms of being a prospect for the Flames. But when you factor in the expansion draft, also, this kid hasn't played hockey in a long time. And I don't know if I want to be throwing him out there for his 27th career NHL game playoffs and regular season in a situation where, Hey, uh, season's on the line. You haven't played a game in over a calendar year. How bad it kid. I, I just, I don't want to be putting uh, one of uh, the organization's top prospects into a situation like that. So if, if you can absolutely avoid it, uh, I think you, you can roll, nine or ten deep before you get to Valimaki anyway. Um, I, I don't mind bringing him along just so he can experience it and, and things like that, like we talked about with uh, uh, Jacob Pelche. Just get around the team, see what this atmosphere I is like, even Pelche though it's going to be a little be bit part different. I part of the roster, what I really think yeah. about it. I, I, I doubt he will be. But it, it was just going off of what I, I brought up earlier this week with, uh, with Pike talking about Pelche, I don't mind having him around just to see what it takes to play at this level, but I'm... I think you can put in a lot of players before you get to use of Alamaki and you still feel pretty okay about it. We'll take a break. When we come back, we will switch gears to football as the defending Vanier Cup champions will uh, be defending a little longer than they expected. No football season in U-Sports this year. That was announced earlier this week. We've got Wayne Harris, the head coach of the University of Calgary Dinos football team, the defending Vanier Cup champions. Wayne joins us next on Pinder and Steinberg on this Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Back to Pinder and Steinberg, Calgary sports talk in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Happy to welcome in our next guest. He is the head coach of the defending Vanier Cup champion University of Calgary Dinos football team. Wayne Harris joins us on the program this afternoon on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. Welcome back to Pinder and Steinberg. My name is Pat Steinberg alongside Peter Klein. Coach, thanks for doing this this afternoon. How are you today? Well, it's uh, certainly some challenging times that we're facing right now, but uh, we're working through it and doing well and moving forward 
Well, and, and you talked about the challenging times as uh, earlier this week on Monday, U Sports and Canada West as part of U Sports made the announcement that the uh, fall season of athletics is not going to go forward, and that includes uh, football coast to coast, which means there will not be a Vanier Cup in, in 2020. It's it's pretty unprecedented, and we know the situation going on in the world. I. I can't even imagine what this would be like for a head coach of a football program and, and how you'd feel for your players, but you also know what's going on in the world. Just tell us your reaction to the news on Monday and, and how it, it kind of hit you. Yeah, it definitely was a shock. Uh, you know, we weren't expecting an announcement uh, quite this early. We knew this was definitely a possibility, a topic of discussion amongst coaches for uh, a long time now, uh, for a few months, we've been having meetings about the different possibilities and the ramifications and what the fall might look for us under the current uh, conditions and everything that's happening in the world. And, you know, it's definitely a, a very challenging time. And the ones I feel the most for are our players. Uh, you know, they've worked so hard. Uh, our guys were training and uh really preparing themselves to defend that national championship, and we felt we had a really good shot at it. What have your conversations with your players been like since Monday? I, I, I obviously don't want to get uh, too private, but just the kind of the, the conversations and, and the general feel and, and reaction from your team. Well, you know, definitely there's a big disappointment, uh, concern, especially from the senior players where, uh, are they coming to the end of their career and not getting a chance to play a season uh, when they, you know, will they be graduating this fall and, and maybe moving into the workforce? Uh, we've been setting up and I'm in the process of having uh, smaller group sessions. Now we have some general statements out to the team, but now we're doing small group sessions on Zoom meetings and uh, just trying to keep everybody informed of, what uh, the fall will look like for them, what we're attempting to do. We're monitoring the current climate of what is happening in uh, Alberta and uh, across Canada and and everywhere else where COVID's had a huge impact on everyone's lives. And, uh, you know, hoping to still be able to offer some form of football. We just know it won't be a season or any type of playoff structure. So what what might that look like? I know it's still really early, so you don't know for sure, but what, what are some of the, the models that you're working with in, in terms of, of what football could be offered? Yeah, we're just looking at, uh, you know, the best case, worst case to best case scenarios. You know, uh, hopefully we will be able to resume training soon with our strength and conditioning programs. Uh, if things continue to progress in a positive way, and the uh, governments continue to lift sanctions and allow for more activities and the rest, then hopefully we'll be able to resume some sort of practices and meetings. And if things really get uh, underway, then possibly we might be able to follow up some of those with some exhibition play with some of the other teams. Now, that's still a long shot, a long ways Mm -hmm. away, but we're trying to be optimistic and hopeful that – you know, we will be able to return to something. It just isn't going to be a, a formal season. We know that at this point in time. Okay, and I just wanted to confirm, 
when when the announcement was made on Monday, uh, part of the announcement was that for athletes, whether it be football players or any of the other sports that were affected by this decision, uh, they they will keep their eligibility. Like this will not burn a year of eligibility for them. Correct? Yes, that's the uh, that's the biggest factor. The uh, so it's important that they don't burn a year of eligibility. The problem in football is we do have an age restriction rule. And some of the players uh, are in danger of aging out, and we're hoping that uh, we'll be able to have compassionate appeal so that those players that would normally be ineligible because of their age would be able to get one year of, of football back in in 2021. One, and on top of that, you kind of mentioned it already, if you're, if you're a senior and next year was going to be your final year in school and, and you know might have been your final year playing football and, and entering the workforce is the next step, that, that's, that's the other difficult scenario that, that some of your players and, and players across the country face, right? It definitely is. You know, it's something that happens every year where guys do graduate and some guys choose to come back for a, their final year if they have one remaining and and some choose to move into the workforce but uh you know these are guys that we're expecting to come into season this year and play and uh, move into the workforce the following year so it's really hit them hard we're in conversation with the head coach of the defending Vanier Cup champion, University of Calgary Dinos. Uh, Wayne Harris is with us on the program this afternoon Mr. Klein uh, as far as your day to day goes, from a, a coaching standpoint, there would be a lot that goes into it throughout the season. Uh, what are you? You mentioned that maybe some exhibition games and some practices might be coming up. As far as like, can you do any film study from the last season? What's I guess the the day to day for a coach during these times? Yeah, definitely. You know, we're already doing that on Zoom with some of our players, where we are holding meetings and and going through our playbooks and. Uh, getting opportunities to watch some film. It's just not as effective as if we're in a a meeting room. So hopefully in the fall we'll be able to uh, get into groups and and get into the film room and and go through our playbooks and do film study and all of the things that we would normally do in a season. Now, a lot can change between now and then, but uh, what kind of plans or changes do you guys think you'll have to make for recruiting if high school football is limited or chances for in-person viewings and visits uh, are potentially limited as well? Definitely, uh, it has changed the nature of what we normally do at this time of year. Uh, Normally, the 2021 class, we would be bringing them in and having meetings with them and their parents, especially the local athletes and uh, having a discussion about making sure they're on the right academic track to get into university and and taking a look at what uh, they need to do in order to uh, be uh, play at the university level. And, and obviously, if they do miss a, a grade 12 season, we'll have to use uh, their grade 11 film and those types of things that we watch and study all the time to uh, determine who we'll be able to bring into our program. As far as conditioning and things of that nature goes, do you guys give the players a program to follow or you just kind of let them do their thing until you guys can can actually get your hands on them? Yeah, our strength coaches are excellent. Uh, David Swagger has been uh, providing them online information. Uh, everybody has different setups. Some guys have home, home gyms. Some guys, we've given them body weight programs to follow. Uh, just a whole course of different actions as we know they don't have their normal 
uh, access to the uh, weight room. So, and then the conditioning, it's just a matter of getting out and running and uh, finding some space to, to do that. And it's definitely, you know, it's not long distance running. We're not a long distance sport, but uh, getting out where they can sprint and, and do those kinds of things. There's obviously a lot of time uh, right now, just in general, but but time to kind of reassess things. And if ever changes were going to be made, uh, there's certainly time to implement those now. Uh, any changes you'd like to see to to you sports football or, or to, to just yourself, kind of self scouting uh, yourself as a coach? Uh, any changes you would like to see personally? Well, you know, you're always looking to change with the times and stay current. Uh, you know, I've, I've been around a long time, so. <laughs> Uh, there's a lot of different ways that young people uh, communicate these days. Uh, they don't uh, pick up the phone like they used to. They, they're quicker to respond to a Twitter message or uh, Snapchat or any of the other social media platforms that are out there. So it's a, it's a different method of, of communication, uh, and we have to educate a little bit on some of the old school stuff like emails and phone conversation so you're always evolving always changing making uh, uh, your team uh, better so that uh, you know if you stay in the same pattern all the time you're going to get stagnant and and uh, you're you're not going to be a championship type program uh, a championship type program was exactly what you guys were last season and last week um, I saw online you guys get the uh, the championship rings certainly uh, not the ceremony that one would have hoped for with a, a championship ring uh, presentation but uh, are you are you wearing that bad boy right now is it up on a shelf where's that ring at well it's just sitting across from me up on the shelf right now uh, yeah, it's nice to look at it's also been to wear so we'll wear it on special occasions but uh you know, we did have a ceremony before the COVID virus hit, and uh, and we had a really nice function that evening. It was just getting the rings because uh, of COVID hitting in Europe. Some uh, stones that we were waiting on did not arrive in time. So uh, we did have a nice function, uh, but it wasn't necessarily the way we wanted to finish. But it was great to see the guys on the weekend. They were really excited to see one another. Uh, we understand that our game is a big social impact to the game and, and those relationships they built amongst their teammates. So they were excited to see one another. We're chatting with Wayne Harris, head coach of the UFC Dinos football team on the program this afternoon. Just a few more for you, coach. And, and Pete asked you about the, the, the rings. And, you know, I, I know this has been a, a frustrating week for you and a difficult week for you. But um, I, I, I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to keep it light to wrap things up. And, and just now that you know that this season is not going to look the way it is. You'll, you'll remain Vanier Cup champions for a little bit longer than you thought. But how, how do you look back on, on last year's title and, and specifically look back on, on that win in Quebec City and, and the way the game was played? Just take us through some of your, uh, your memories now that you've got a little bit more time to reflect on it. Yeah, well, we're, we're, I'm definitely very proud of our, our team, our coaches, our players, everyone associated uh, we went through a lot of adversity through the season that a lot of people did not know about. Uh, we were playing without a lot of our key players. Fortunately, we got many of them back in time for the playoffs. Uh, the way they rallied around one another, that they stayed focused, uh, that they never let uh, any of the different uh, events that occurred affect them in a negative way. Uh, they were 
you know, uh, they were talented, but even more so, they were more of a team than any of our previous teams uh, over the last number of years they, in the way that they came together in support of one another and holding fast. And, and that makes you really proud to see. And uh, our staff, my staff is excellent. Uh, uh, I can't uh, pay enough tribute to uh, Matt Berry and Pat Shane and Jabari Arthur uh, Marcello Rapini, Paul Carson, uh, the rest of our coaching staff. I won't go through them all because we have about 22 of them, but uh, <laughs> we do, we have a large staff and a large number of players, and it's really about player development and and keeping guys on the right track academically and athletically. Well, I, I remember the the game itself and and watching it from afar, and it, it was very tight and extremely in the balance for 45 minutes, and then your your group really turned it up to a different level in the fourth quarter and and made sure that you came away with that Vanier Cup. Just tell us about that from a coaching standpoint and uh, coaching in a game that tight until the fourth quarter. What impressed you so much about that final 15 minutes from your squad? Just the uh, way the team stayed focused, that they didn't let the closeness of the game uh, rattle them in any way. Uh, They kept their composure, and that was very impressive. The bench was very impressive. Uh, Everybody uh, was very into the game, making sure that they knew what their role was and making sure they executed their role. And uh, it was uh, very gratifying to see how they went through that. I felt very, you know, I felt like we had been controlling the game, but, you know, after the the game against Manitoba in the semifinals where they rallied at the end of the game to almost take it from us, uh, it, uh, you know, you just know that one bad break can change everything in a, in a heartbeat. And, uh, and we just did not allow that to happen. And we just continued to get stronger and stronger. And uh, that was uh, very, uh, uh, it was so gratifying to see. I just uh, can't express my uh, pleasure with how, how well the, the players performed and coaches. It was the final game for Adam Sinagra, your quarterback, and, and a great way for him to wrap his U Sports career. Just uh, give us a thought on, on Sinagra and his time as a dino and, and kind of the, the legacy that he leaves after departing the program. Well, definitely, Adam has uh, been a huge part of our program for the past four years since he came in from Montreal, and uh, he's been a, a great leader. He uh, ended up starting a lot sooner than expected, got some opportunities to play in that 2016 season and help us get to a Vanier, and then when Jimmy Underdahl was injured in that Vanier, he got the opportunity to play in a Vanier Cup game, and I think that really... Uh, helped him in this uh, 2019 uh, Vanier Cup. Uh, just that experience, the composure, uh, one of his best games of the season uh, where we went in uh, with a new offensive coordinator and a slightly different emphasis on what we were doing. And he held that and uh, uh, took it under as a leader to make sure that uh, he didn't allow uh, the departure from a more prophylic uh, passing game uh, take away from his individual play in the game. Tell us about uh, he. I know that he has uh, joined the Montreal Alouettes. Did, didn't get drafted, unfortunately, in, in the draft last month, but um, was able to uh, join the Montreal Alouettes, and, and we'll have the opportunity to compete for his spot there. Just just tell us about the the next step for Adam, and and kind of what you expect from him at the professional level. 
I really expect him to be able to compete well. Uh, he's got a strong arm. He's a great student of the game. He spends the time in the meeting rooms and on the playbook. He asks great questions, and uh, he has great uh, ideas to contribute. So uh, I expect him to do very well. I believe his arm strength is more than enough to play at the at the CFL level, and uh, we were a bit surprised that he did not get drafted. But uh, definitely pleased that he was uh, picked up by his hometown in Montreal. And finally, uh, tell us about the uh, the player that you saw drafted in this year's CFL draft. Terrence Abrahams-Webster is a, a fifth-round pick of the Ottawa Red Blacks. Tell us a little bit more about him. Yeah, so Ter- he, Treshawn, he's been uh, one of our, you know, ever since he came to us from Ontario, he's been a starter in our defensive backfield. He's been uh, he, he's a hard worker. He trains. He stays focused. Uh, he has been, you know, healthy throughout his career. And uh, he's done a, a lot. He's been a, a tremendous leader on our defense, understands what we do. And uh, um, we were very, very happy for uh, Treshawn to, to get the opportunity to be drafted. And we look forward to watching him uh, in the CFL alongside so many other dinos. Coach, really appreciate the time this afternoon. And, and I, I know that it's a disappointing and a really difficult time for you as a football coach, but uh, hopefully you're able to make the best out of uh, a difficult situation here in the next number of months. And we look forward to seeing you back on the field in the fall of 2021. Thanks so much for doing this this afternoon. Well, thank you for uh, having me on your show today. I appreciate that. Wayne Harris, the head coach of the University of Calgary Dinos football team, the defending Vanier Cup champions. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. It's Pat Steinberg, Peter Klein, Logan Gordon, along with you. Uh, and and I feel bad for I feel bad for those the, the, these athletes, and not just the football players. There are a lot of athletes who have lost an opportunity to play this this fall. And and while they keep eligibility, we're still talking about about young athletes and and. That's that's an entire year, an entire season that is lost. And, and I'm not saying that it was the wrong decision by Canada West and U Sports. I think it was very much the right decision. Um, but the fact of the matter is, it's, it's I, I feel really bad about it because that's a that's a that's a tough blow for a young athlete. So I'm glad that they're able to keep their eligibility and and certainly for uh, the football program, some of the players who are on the verge of aging out. Hopefully there is uh, an appeal that can be made and and an exemption that can be applied uh, this time around. We'll take yeah. a break. I've got a uh, I've got I've got a. Well, an important question to ask Mr. Klein. I need some help uh, for a social media challenge, an important social media challenge. I just, I need some help on it. We'll get that help from Klein. We'll see if he's got, or or from you on the text line too. We'll do that next on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Strange times for sure. Sportsnet 960, The Fan is here for you. No sports, no problem. Pinder and Steinberg continues right now on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. So today is June 10th, 2020, and it was exactly one year ago that for for the gentleman in question, a, a really significant 
uh, a significant thing happened. It was about, uh, it was exactly one year ago that Calgary Flames assistant general manager Chris Snow was diagnosed with a, a motor neuron disease, and a week later uh, it was determined that that motor neuron d- disease was in fact ALS. And we know that Chris has been fighting valiantly with ALS since that time. Now, we, we didn't know about it until a number of months later. In fact, it wasn't, he, he was named assistant general manager and, and people in the organization knew but um publicly it was it was still not even known then that he was fighting als and and a little while after that it was announced that he has been going through this and and his wife kelsey has been documenting chris's fight with als uh, ever since and you can follow her on twitter at kelsey writes or on instagram um at kelsey at kelsey s writes and so the calgary flames today started a very cool uh, a very cool campaign to help raise funds for the Snowy Strong Foundation as they continue to help Chris and the overall fight against ALS. And so I've been challenged by Peter Stewart over at CalgaryFlames.com, and they're a Jumbotron department. He has um, he has challenged me and Brendan Parker of Flames TV for a trick shot. They're doing trick shots for Snowy, and you might have seen it on, on Twitter or Instagram already. Uh, people are coming up with cool trick shots and then passing it along to someone else i just don't know what to do and it's not it doesn't have to be hockey it doesn't have to be basketball it can be anything like i saw dalton of the flames pr staff through a football i think through a basketball net which i actually was really impressed by like i can't do that um some people have done soccer some people have done golf I live in an apartment. I'm just trying to figure out what my best bet is to come up with a trick shot so that I can right. do this. So I, 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 A, wanted some help from you, Klein, or from our listeners, and B, uh, I also wanted to bring some attention to it. Again, the website, calgaryflames.com slash snowystrong if you want to go donate. calgaryflames.com slash snowystrong if you want some more information. And meanwhile, I am hoping to come up with some sort of trick shot to help the campaign. I just don't know what to do. I'm not very creative, um, and so I need some help. Could, should I do like a trick shot on a, a video game? Should I do some Somebody suggests on the text line something like a garbage bin with a piece of paper crumpled up. Mm. What uh, what what do you think? How can you help me here, Klein? The the first thing that comes to mind would be some form of a uh, beer pong shot because again, as, as you discussed, dealing with lim- limited space, limited resources here, uh, we we've seen beer pong shots or just a ping pong ball into a cup doesn't have to necessarily have the, the beer connotation with it. Um, but we've seen a lot of people get creative with different pans and things of that nature. So you could try banking in a, a ping pong ball into a red solo cup off of a couple of things. I think that could be something you try. I like the video game idea. I just don't know, like unless you can somehow stage it where you get a goalie goal in NHL 20, that would be that would be kind of fun to, to try as well. So I like where your head's at with the video game one, but I, I would try something with a ping pong ball and a red solo cup. Okay, it's not a bad idea, or a tennis ball or something like that. I've got a tennis ball in my right. in my place, so uh, I'm gonna come up with something. I just uh, Peter Stewart has challenged me. I will not back down from this challenge. I just don't Nor know exactly you. what I'm going to do at this point. Um, ooh, good one. What about a tequila shot while standing on your head? It, I wonder if some sort of alcohol shot would, like, what if I was able to do a shot with my 
foot. No, I, I can't actually do that. I'm not flexible, so that's not really. But what if right. I do something like that? That's 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 nice. weird I'll... like some weird domino thing where the last domino knocks the shot over into your mouth while you're like laying on the ground or something like that. So it's a, still a trick. It's a good idea. Um, I uh, yeah, I've got some. Uh... I've got some things that I need to. Uh, I've got some things I need to research. I want. I want to make sure I do this. So, I, and I want to make sure that it's good and not a complete and utter joke. So, uh, a lot of pressure, Klein. Right. A lot of pressure. Yeah, I believe in you, kind of. Um, I, I believe you'll certainly try. Get a fan set up and do a curve shot for beer pong. Yeah, I'm not that. Ooh, not that that'd talented. be good. I, I, you got to be talented to be able to do that. I'll come up with something. More importantly, you got a lot of time on your hands. I do. Calgaryflames.com slash snowy strong. Uh, Calgaryflames.com slash snowy strong. If you'd like to go donate, that's the most important part of all. Uh, what is coming up next, Mr. Klein? We have John Pollock from Post Wrestling. Uh, Fight Island is real and it's spectacular. Uh, so we're going to chat with John Pollock about everything Fight Island, Conor McGregor's retirement, and just general UFC news because it feels like about a month ago that Amanda Nunes was dominating on Saturday. There's been that much news in the MMA space. So uh, John Pollock will help us break it all down next. That's coming up around the corner on Pinder and Steinberg, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Pinder and Steinberg in the afternoon. Sportsnet 960, the fan. UFC 250 was just on Saturday, and since then, the Ultimate Fighting Championship's biggest star announced his retirement for the third time, and the UFC bought an island. The world of mixed martial arts never stopped. Here to help us break it all down uh, is a, a very busy John Pollock. John, while, while us in, in sports radio have had to result or have had to kind of re- rely on things like candy brackets and what's the best cereal, uh, MMA and pro wrestling reporters <laughs> have had no break over this pandemic. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me on. Yes, it's been uh, just as crazy as ever in the uh, the world of MMA and pro wrestling. Yeah, they, they care not for the pandemic, uh, as it's been pretty crazy for a couple of months. And, and maybe the, the biggest news, if we actually believe it, uh, came out over the weekend with Conor McGregor announcing his retirement. I have yet to talk to a soul who believes that Conor McGregor is officially retired. Uh, will, will you be my first? Do you believe that uh, Conor McGregor has uh, stepped foot in the octagon for the last time? Uh, no, I'm, I think the streak will continue on that one. I don't think – I think that the Conor McGregor uh, playbook when it, when it comes to this is a pretty transparent one at, at this point. It's one that certainly him uh, tweeting that out, he knows the traction it's going to get, that everyone is going to discuss it, even if it's uh, pretty transparent what's happening here. I think what's more interesting is the fact that uh, th- this is not so much a money issue as it is kind of a power play between the UFC and Conor McGregor where – Connor was wanted to fight and the UFC were kind of putting their foot down here. And this was much more about what fight he was going to take versus, you know, the, the two sides being apart on money. Uh, as far as it's funny talking about him announcing his retirement in the next question. So who do you want to see him fight? Uh, but but who, <laughs> who, if, if John Pollock were king of the mixed martial arts world, uh, who would you like to see Connor McGregor in there with next? 
I mean, the options uh, certainly present themselves that I think that, you know, Justin Gaethje is a a much more intriguing fight today than it was several months ago. I think after the Tony Ferguson fight, I think Justin Gaethje has really elevated himself and is coming off a phenomenal pay-per-view number with Tony Ferguson. Uh, I still feel down the road, uh, Conor McGregor and Tony Ferguson, I think is still a fight people would be willing to see. And and with uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov, I think that's a rematch that, while stylistically, I don't think it goes all that different than the first fight. I still think it would be any of these choices for Conor McGregor are going to be big ones. Uh, but but I would say personally, like Justin Gaethje uh, is up there for me. Yeah, and Justin Gaethje certainly taking advantage of the spotlight that was given to him. We, we've talked about it on this show a little bit about how the, the eyes of the sports world right now are, are on the Ultimate Fighting Championship. You look at Twitter on Saturday night and it was Nothing but mm-hmm. UFC 250. Justin Gaethje might be one of the, the biggest beneficiaries of the UFC continuing on when the sports world was shut down. Yeah, and that was one of the questions going into this. And, you know, seeing the blueprint of how the pro wrestling fans have responded, um, you know, they're, they're at like all time lowest television viewership at the moment whereas UFC has come back and that first pay-per-view they did last month with Ferguson and Gaethje uh, did an unbelievable number of you know 700,000 buys so I think part of that is yeah these fans are are starved we're seeing what the viewership figures have been uh, by and large have been very big numbers that they've been pulling uh, on ESPN so there's a hunger right now for UFC content regardless of who's fighting. So that's going to wear thin once we're kind of into a normal schedule, which we're kind of getting into now. But I think when it comes to big fights, um, the, the ceiling is very high as, as Gaethje and Ferguson proved. And as we'll probably see at, at the next pay-per-view where they have three title fights, like the big fights are going to do very big during this period. And one of the, the the side effects, I guess, of that is that we're starting to see some conversations that have been had in MMA for about a decade now coming mm-hmm. to light in mainstream media. I, I never thought I would see Dana White yelling about fighter pay on first take, uh, but there we were on Monday with him doing exactly that. Uh, what do you make of uh, a bit more mainstream media coverage on some of the, the hotter button MMA issues? Well, I mean, you hit it right there that this has been like, I remember the first time Uh, sitting down face-to-face with Dana White and having this discussion. And that was in March of 2006. It's, you know, it's something that has been, you know, a consistent focus, uh, but it's largely been contained within the MMA media space, looking at, you know, the the revenue that has been dispersed to fighters versus other leagues where you have that layer of protection with a union or an association. And the biggest one that – the UFC is running these events right now is because it's fulfilling their contract with ESPN because their television revenue is such a huge part of their yearly revenue and fighters don't get any percentage of that television revenue. So it's interesting that we're now seeing, you know, three major names together kind of at odds with the UFC in John Jones, Conor McGregor and Jorge Masvidal. And it's because of, I think that, level of star that is talking about these issues that it is forcing people from the mainstream to also look at these issues and and confront Dana White on them and you know his go-to has been that you know this is a pandemic we're not getting our live gates now but this is uh, this is a subject that it did not just um, jump up over the last two months this has been an issue for a long time when it comes to fighters as a whole uh, being underpaid even ones at the top when you look at the business that they bring in. 
Yeah, and I think that would be, uh, of all the people in the UFC who are, who are underpaid, and it quite frankly is all of them, uh, but it, it's definitely the the main fighters. Like, And I think the, the real tipping point for a lot of people was Dana White saying John Jones was asking for Deontay Wilder money, as if he thought that was the, the biggest laughingstock of them all. And the reaction from the fight community was, well, yeah, I mean, shouldn't he? Yeah, and I mean, it comes at a period now where fighters have less leverage, in my opinion, than they did several years ago. Because now with this ESPN Plus deal, every pay-per-view, ESPN Plus is giving them like a flat fee, which is just under $17 million. So whether you're doing a monstrous card that's going to do tons of buys, or it's Amanda Nunez and Felicia Spencer, with all due respect, is not going to have that same level of interest. They're still getting that set amount. So the UFC is less reliant than ever when it comes to star power. The interesting player in all of this is ESPN, who are greatly incentivized for the John Jones and the Conor McGregor's of the world to be on the same page as the UFC and fighting because they are going to enjoy above and beyond what you're doing over that baseline. So it's a real interesting game of chess that's going on at the moment and whether this is something that, um, you know, traditionally fighters do, do not stand together uh, because there's always going to be people that are going to take those spots that – others are willing to step away from it's you know an idea of a fighter's union it's really hard to fathom we're going to see that ever form but it is a conversation at the moment and if there was ever going to be a time it does kind of feel like now where all this mainstream attention is focused on this and the biggest fighter like the the three biggest draws i would say right now in the sport are, are all sitting out because of this issue like if if ever there were a time for this thing to change i, I would imagine now would be the time right yeah, I mean, to, to the UFC, it's it's kind of they're in a position now where it's not the most ideal time to be promoting a Conor McGregor fight because you know, as we mentioned, like they they promote a Conor McGregor fight and you're eliminating a huge revenue generator for them in the live gate. It's ESPN; they're they're going to enjoy tremendously if Conor McGregor fights at the moment. But it's it's all going to be to me the pressure that comes from ESPN of telling, hey. We're paying you guys all this money, fix things. With the, Conor McGregor is willing to fight right now. Why isn't he fighting? And that's, that's kind of the, the interesting player in all of this. But for, for UFC, it's, um, I think that they can simply wait out some of these certain fighters, and they're just going to continue pumping out shows with the fighters that are making themselves available. It's, to, to me, it's going to take like a real united front among a lot of the fighters in order for, for any kind of uh, change to occur. Unless the UFC just preemptively decides, hey, let's let's do the bare minimum right now that's going to make these fighters happy and hope that this conversation goes away versus a distinct line in the sand between your biggest stars. It's We're hearing from these three names now how many others are having similar feelings and thoughts and want to take any kind of action and are not going to be willing to fight unless they get certain demands met. It's you know, history would, would show that, that the fight industry, it's often a very single-minded sport. It's not one that really preaches, you know, standing in, in unity with, with your fellow fighters. But at times, that's what's necessitated to enact change, to, to have certain protections, to get a slice of the pie, which I think a lot of people would love to see these fighters, you know, compensated that much more than they are. 
In conversation here with John Pollock from postwrestling.com on Pinder and Steinberg on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Uh, the other bit of news from the UFC is that Fight Island is actually a thing, although not quite as grand as some people thought, where Dana White didn't just buy some random island that was up for sale. This is a place where the UFC has actually put some shows on before. I guess, first of all, uh, disappointed that it's not just straight Mortal Kombat where a dude just has his own island? I mean, I, I thought that they, it was kind of the, I think the UFC just kind of enjoyed throwing this idea out there and everyone just running with their ideas of what this was going to be. And yeah, the end of it, it, it almost felt like, okay, we, we've got this thing to announce. Let's just announce it now and get the, because it almost seemed like it had just grown into this, this ridiculous uh, science fiction movie plot line of what they were going to be doing here. But yes, it's, it's going to look a lot similar to our past Abu Dhabi cards that have occurred over the last decade. Yeah, the people who were disappointed, like, what were you actually think? like, what what else could they have done? They aren't just going to build an island for in the shape of an octagon and go. I just, I didn't know what the expectations were. But but what we got were so, some pretty exciting uh, fight announcements. I think the main one that's going to catch a lot of people's um, uh, attention, I mean, there, there's a bunch of them, but UFC 251, you mentioned it before, three title fights coming up um, at the beginning of July on Fight Island. What did you make of the, the actual fight announcements for uh, UFC 251? I mean, it, it's a really loaded uh, main card with, with the three title fights. I think that uh, I'm happy that they're getting, like, I, I'm not a big fan of this, this Jose Aldo, uh, Piotr Jan fight. Uh, certainly, Jan deserves to be in that conversation. Jose Aldo is 0-1 in this weight class, but, I mean, there's reasons he's there because it's Jose Aldo. But at least they're getting this fight over with in the next month. And then that bantamweight division is just so deep. And coming off of Saturday, so many different directions you can go in. And the faster they crown a champion in that division, the faster you can start making more fights. Because to me, the bantamweight division is the most intriguing uh, weight class at the moment in, in UFC. So um, that's, that's a big story going into that card. Then you've also got uh, Kamaru Usman and Gilbert Burns, which kind of dovetails off the conversation we had that, you know, Jorge Masvidal, it was very much a, a money issue over what he was going to be uh, making to take this fight with Usman. And Gilbert Burns uh, was not the first selection, and it sounds like he wasn't the second choice for this fight, but he was the one that was willing to come and fight under the UFC's parameters. So he's jumping the line, and he's getting the fight with Kamaru Usman on relatively short notice after just beating Tyron Woodley last weekend. Yeah, and it's it's one of those, those star-making ones. And I saw Nate Diaz um, tweeted that, that he was not happy, although that, that's not necessarily a surprise. Um, but as far as Burns as a title challenger goes, are, are you okay with him getting the shot so quickly after the Woodley win? I mean, it's, it, I don't think it was anyone's first choice Like when it comes to that welterweight picture, which is a, a pretty deep one when, when you look at, at the top and where Masvidal is and, and what he would have brought to this. Um, I think it's a good fight. I think that you know Gilbert Burns is someone that showed a lot um, with the recent win over Tyron Woodley. Um, so it's, it's an interesting fight. Kamar Usman has been incredibly dominant uh, throughout his entire uh, UFC tenure that goes back to 2015. So he's, he's someone that I, I think is... Uh, 
in, in a great position here to be challenged by someone. I, I think that most will be looking at Kamaru Usman to win this fight, but Gilbert, Mer- Gilbert Burns has made uh, dramatic increases uh, in, in his game, and I think it really culminated in uh, not so much defeating Tyron Woodley, but also in the fashion in which he did. Um, that, that was a very impressive win, and he he's taking a, a bit of a gamble on himself right now that he was able to agree to the terms that got him this title fight, and with a win, it puts him in a in a advantageous position uh had he this is where kind of that that unity falls apart that if all these fighters were hey i wanted these demands to be met there's others that will be willing to you know they can leapfrog others and then get a get a title fight and if gilbert burns wins then he comes out ahead of this equation and earlier i'm glad you brought up uh jose aldo maybe not necessarily deserving a, a bantamweight championship fight sitting at 0-1 in the division even if you want to argue that he should have won his one bantamweight fight that still does not a, a title challenger make um but i i hadn't thought of it the, the way you brought it up where just get kind of get this one out of the way so we can get another challenger in there because my first thought was what else does aljamain sterling have to do to get a title shot yeah, and I, I think that he would definitely be that person that, um, you know, if I, I don't know if he would be so willing if something happened to this fight that he would step in on short notice. I, I don't think that would be ideal for him, but I think he should be the one that is ready to fight the winner. I don't think Aljamain Sterling has to take any more fights. He's at the, the top of the top of the food chain when it comes to challengers at 135 pounds. Uh, but you've also got a, a lot of interesting names there with uh, Cody Garbrandt, who had that incredible knockout victory over the weekend. Uh, Frankie Edgar now fighting at, at the weight class, and he's going to be fighting Pedro Munoz. There's a lot of interesting fighters there. Marlon Marais is still in the mix, and a guy who's coming off a win over Jose Aldo, and he's kind of in the in the shadows at bantamweight. It's, there's a lot of great matches that you can make in the in the coming year for that weight class, but Aljamain Sterling should fight the winner of that fight. And uh, moving up about 100 pounds in the, the heavyweight division, Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier, that gets announced. Uh, the, the trilogy fight happening sometime in August. Uh, all due respect to the knockout power of Francis Ngannou. The, this this one felt like the, the absolute one you had to make in this weight class yeah. right now, right? This fight, it's, it's one that, it's not like this came out of left field. We all knew that this was the fight that they were making, and it was just different timelines that both fighters have been on. But finally, we're here, and when they made that announcement, I just had the belief that this, this is going to be one of the biggest fights in UFC history. I certainly would say that this would be on the short list um, of that category. I just feel that by the time we get to August, the the added stakes that we've got a trilogy fight where both look tremendous in their respective victories. It was a great come-from-behind win for Miocic in the last one, coupled with this being Daniel Cormier's retirement fight and for the heavyweight title – I think this is just going to be a, a massive, massive fight. And I think that this is going to be one that, um, you know, just given how much larger ESPN Plus has grown o- over the past year, like this is one that I think is really going to test what the high end of a UFC pay-per-view is going to do. If we look at McGregor and Cerrone doing about a million buys back in January, I, I think this one is certainly in that that realm of possibility to to hit, if not exceed that. It's It's a huge fight for the UFC to make. And with with Daniel Cormier, I think it's easy to remember that just because this guy is one of the most likable human beings on planet Earth didn't mean that UFC fans really embraced him during that that whole John Jones rivalry, at least at the start of it. I think the the job that he's done on commentary has, to to steal a a wrestling term, has really babyfaced him to this MMA crowd over the last year and a bit and has, 
I, I think done wonders for for his stock, not only in the MMA community, but just as a marketable UFC star in general. And I think that adds to this fight now as well. Yeah, I mean, the, Cormier is just an ambassador for the UFC. I mean, he, to me, has a role with that company for as long as he wants one, far beyond his fighting days, that he has been uh, fantastic as a commentator for the group and, and someone that, that, to me, is, yeah, I, I think that, that he is connected with that audience at a level that, that few have in, in their careers, that he's such a likable individual, he's you know, we for forever, it was the story that Daniel Cormier, he was always that one step away from winning a championship, whether it was in his amateur wrestling days, whether it was uh, in the UFC. And then I think it was the last couple of years when, you know, John Jones was just self-destructing with the drug test, with all of the with all of his problems being arrested, that here was Daniel Cormier that was just the complete opposite. And I think just grew his stock so much that. I mean, to me, it's it's going to be a real big deal when this guy steps away. Uh, and I think that this is one where everyone does believe this is probably a retirement that will happen in August. And it's probably one that's, that's going to stick. You never say never when it comes to these retirements. But at 41 years of age, I do believe this is probably the last one for Cormier. Uh, we're still a few a couple months out from that fight. But do you have a, a lean either way? I think Vegas has it as a pick right now. Yeah, I mean, it's. I, I, I think that you would still favor Daniel Cormier, but it's it's a year removed from that last fight. So, I mean, that's age is certainly on, on the side of the champion in Miocic. And with Cormier, like that second fight was one he was doing tremendously well in, and it just seemed like this is going to be a prolonged version of the first fight. But Miocic had a great turn. He just turned the tables and adjusted that game plan, worked the body, and it's going to be Cormier. How does he prepare for Miocic? And conversely, what does Miocic feel is the key to his victory? Uh, because Cormier is going to shore up any of those deficiencies he had late in the fight uh, in uh, last year's fight that I, I think certainly wrestling, I think, is a big factor here. Is Cormier going to stand with him to the extent he did in the last two fights? I, I don't know about that. And the, the wrestling could be a, a major key to this fight, but it's uh, a pick'em is pr pretty accurate. I think that's what adds so much to this. It's not as though um, Daniel Cormier at 41 is not that diminished of a fighter to where he was three or four years ago. I think this is still a guy that can fight at that elite level and is a fight that he could certainly win. So I, I today I will lean I will lean Cormier in this fight. All right, we're gonna absolutely hold you to that. You're not allowed to change your mind at all, uh, John. I'm this was. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, John, this was fun as always, man. Thanks for doing this. Uh, where can people find your work? Uh, you can go to postwrestling.com. We have uh, tons of MMA coverage uh, up there. So if you want to go uh, check out the site, that's where we have uh, all of the latest news and discussing all of these topics in depth. Uh, and it's always great to chat with you, Peter. Thanks a lot for having me on. Hey, thanks for doing this. Uh, we really appreciate it. Have a good one. All right, you too. Thank you. There you go, John Pollock from postwrestling.com. Time for us to take a break here on the program. Uh, still to come, we have Wild Card Wednesday, actually on a Wednesday, uh, and the Steinberg-Snyder bromance does continue as well. Plenty more to cover here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Jeff says he wants his own big voice intro. Well, I'm here to oblige. Sportsnet 960 The Fan is talking all things lacrosse with Calgary's own Jeff Snyder. One of these days, though, we're going to need to get 
Snides when he's not on the golf course as we welcome you back to the program. Jeff Snyder joins us for his uh, regular Wednesday segment with us. Jeff from Elevate Lacrosse and uh, former member of the Calgary Roughnecks. Hi, Snides. Where are you at Country Hills again today? I am. I think I'm on 16. I don't know. I'm just playing so well. It's all just a blur for me. Just pars and birdies. Man. Who's you know? I, I don't know. I can't relate. But uh, who's uh, who's out there with you today? I'm out with the Lowry boys and uh, a bit of my, I got a, got a real out of shape friend. His name's Curtis Foley. He's out here too. So, um, you know, the Lowry brothers are exceptional athletes. And then a guy like Curtis is just, he just brings the group down. We had, uh, so, we had Adam Lowry play in our like charity slow pitch game a couple of years ago. And he absolutely murdered the ball. Like you're like, yep. Uh, you can tell that Adam Lowry is just a natural athlete. He's like absolutely crushing dingers over the fence at uh, at Seaman Stadium in Okotoks. Like if you're good at hockey, it usually means you're good at really good at other sports too. You should see him hit a golf ball, man. It's a, it's pretty impressive. He's a, he's an exceptional athlete. But you know that being said, you got to give credit to Dave and Elaine because uh, they are quite the athletes themselves as well. So. As much as I'd like to, you know, say that it was, uh, you know, something that, that was deep in the bloodline, it, it wasn't. It's absolutely Dave and Elaine that uh, are giving that man his abilities. <laughs> uh, how are you, brother? What's going on? I'm doing very well. I'm, uh, I'm hanging in there, man. Excited about this uh, this reopening. It's, it sounds great. It sounds like people are really excited. And, you know, it's, uh, it's just good to see that, uh, you know, we're getting through this as a community. I'm pumped. Well, what does it mean for for perhaps uh, operators like you who run sports programs for youth and, and, you know, you haven't been able to operate as you're used to? What did uh, yesterday's news about team sports being allowed again starting on June 12th, what does it mean for Elevate? I think it's, uh, you know, it's really a call for action, you know, for us as a, as a group that's trying to lead the lacrosse community. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's going to be a big challenge getting up and running and, and you know, making sure that we're adhering to, you know, all the protocols that, that AHS is recommending and then, you know, ultimately going above and beyond with respect to, you know, our standards as an organization too. So, um, you know, we want to make sure we do this right so we're not taking a step backwards and, and at the same time being a positive outlet for student-athletes, families, and, and kids that are looking to, to get into the sport of lacrosse. So um, I think for us, we're just really excited to, you know, again, I keep saying be best in class and, and leading by example on uh, – on a really positive and safe and healthy return to play here. So what goes into that? Tell us a little bit about some of the things that you got to take into account. Well, you know, it, it's funny because you really look at, uh, you know, at, at your, your programming, your drills, you know, contact, non-contact. So I think the, the big thing for us is, is really just, uh, you know, getting to a place where, you know, we are able to, uh, uh, you know, we're, we're able to, um, you know, have a, uh, a really positive uh, environment for student athletes adhering to, you know, the distancing rules that are going to be set in place for us as we progress closer to, you know, uh, the, the weekend and, and starting next week. And then having a clear picture of, of what that programming looks like for kids. Um, you know, it's going to be very skill driven. It's hard to you know, foster in a, in a contact sport. It's hard to, you know, foster a lot of, uh, you know, really intense compete level in these situations. But, um, you know, I think we're going to be going back to the drawing board and putting a lot of drills together uh, that are going to be beneficial and intense and focused and skill derived. And then, you know, bringing our, you know, sort of intensity as coaches to the field and making sure that we're pushing kids and, and making up for that lost time that, 
you know, we potentially haven't had here uh, for development over the last couple of months. So it's sort of back to the drawing board, but an exciting drawing board that allows us to be pragmatic and creative and, and do things a little differently and you know, hopefully uh, you know, be pioneering in, in some of the lacrosse programming and you know, what's next in our new normal here. How, t- take us into the, wh- whether it is the student athletes and the young athletes that you have in your Elevate Lacrosse program or other young athletes and young people who haven't been able to be involved in, in youth sports like they usually would be at this time of year. How, how difficult do you think that has been and, and, and what are some of the challenges of, of getting them back involved and, and getting active again? Uh, I think I think like us all, I think everybody's sort of experienced some really highs and lows. You know, you get really motivated, you get unmotivated. You know, I can only speak for really myself, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, you know, there's been good days and bad days. I think we've all kind of been in that. And, and it's been a real sort of ride emotionally when we've gone through something that, you know, collectively as a sports community, we haven't really, you know, had to face before. So, you know, I... I think there's going to be all sorts of things. I think there's going to be lots of, you know, lots of positive emotion. I think there's going to be lots of frustration. I think kids kind of know where they are when where they were. And then, you know, there's going to be some kids that took the bull by the horns here and did lots of work. There's going to be others that, you know, sort of didn't. And, and, you know, it's not that it's right or wrong. I, you know, it's, it's going to be a mixed bag, everything. And I think, you know, for us, we're here to be the resource, you know, to help continue to foster compete level and, you know, in the same in the same sentence to re-inspire it as well. So I think we're expecting just kind of a mix of everything as we proceed into this. And there's really no right or wrong answer. And there there certainly is no, you know, there's, you can't sit back and say, oh, you should have done this, you should have done that, because, you know, there was no playbook. You didn't get handed the, the COVID-19 playbook on, on how to manage, you know, as a, as a student athlete. So, you know, we're, we're looking forward to, you know, to being a part of the solution and a part of the, you know, the, the re-inspiration, if you will, of, uh, of athletes who've been training you know, over the last couple of months and, and maybe some who haven't been as motivated. So, you know, that's, that's what we're here to do. That's our job. And, and we're super excited about the, the, the new challenge and the opportunity. Jeff Snyder's with us from Elevate Lacrosse. He joins us on Wednesdays here on Pinder and Steinberg. So uh, I, I guess in terms of, like, is there any, as, as you start to get your players back on the uh, on the field and, and athletes start to play once again, like it could be in terms of in terms of a summer for these types, types of things, and this could be a pretty important summer in the city, hey? Absolutely. Um, in, in all sports, you know, there's, there's kids that are looking to go, you know, into the fall at, you know, Division One, Division Three hockey levels. There's baseball. There's golf. You know, the the school year starts in September. So, from an NCAA direction, you know, this is a very big summer for those kids who are 2020 grads. It's a big summer for 2021s and 2022s as well. So, you know, it's it's all it's different. Everybody's trying to do creative things. You know, videotape is going to play a bigger part. You know, more so than ever. Um, and you know, having a a credible background in in terms of people that can advocate for your abilities and where you belong and coaches that trust your perspective and your, you know, your, uh, your, you know, development of these kids is going to play a big part in it too. We get calls every day. Um, people are looking for players and, and excellent students and more importantly, uh, you know, better people. So there's, there's a big character component. There's a big skill component. And obviously the academic component is huge. So, um, you know, it's, it's going to be challenging for, for all the groups. And, you know, I know that, uh, you know, I, I just look at, at what, you know, Calgary's made of, again, I go back to it over and over and over and, I'm just really excited about the kids here in Calgary and how they're 
how they're competing at all levels. I think Calgary is an incredibly athletic city. It's a city that faces a ton of adversity and a city that has a ton of character. So I'm, I'm very confident in uh, the ability of, of you know, our kids and, you know, everybody kind of around the city with respect to their discipline and sport that, uh, you know, they're going to be doing everything they need to be doing to uh, get back to the right level. And we're, you know, we're obviously seeing professional sports returning as well, and, and the NHL and the NBA are gearing up for training camps and, and how that's going to look like. It, there, a lot of debate right now as to how long a training camp in hockey should be, how long a training camp in, in basketball should be. What, what would you need? Like, like put us back in, in your, your, your peak physical days when uh, you're in the NLL and, and, bam, all of a sudden the season shuts down for longer than you would have ever expected. How long would you need to get back up to speed? So, you know, playing in uh... – Playing in the, uh, you know, in the, in the NLL, MLL, you know, you really don't have a lot of time off. So, you know, in terms of, you know, an absolute shutdown, you know, I think a lot of these guys that are playing at the highest levels, you know, they're, they're consistently training. Um, you know, a big thing I think we talked about in the past is, is just having that skill set, getting on the ice, getting on the field, having the ability to, you know, be prepared to compete. And, you know, man, I, I'd give it a month. I, I think that uh, – you know, if they can get a season going and, and give them a month's period of time, I think a lot of the guys are, are at the level where they're going to adjust accordingly and be ready to go. All right, buddy. We appreciate the time, as always. Get back out there and, uh, like, how, how you're, you're shooting well again. This has been a, a constant theme for you. Um, I'm trying to, you know. I just uh, – I'm trying to play as well as I can. I'm trying to stay level-headed, you know. Lots of, lots of adversity going on these days, but uh, lots of fun stuff, too. So, I'm, I'm trying to keep it uh, keep it real out here, Pat. You know, and, and tell Pete that you know, hey, bromance. Tell him to find his own guy. That you and I are an item, and you know, we don't need we don't need to be airing out any laundry on the radio here. I agree. Uh, I think that what what is ours is ours, and we'll deal with it. And uh, it's none of anybody else's business. I I, I wholeheartedly <laughs> endorse that. Well, as always, thank you so much, man. And uh, you know, to everybody out there who's involved in sports and. Uh, uh, you know, coming back online here, best of luck in your return to play. And I'm excited to see, uh, to drive around the field and, and see, or drive around the city and see fields in use and, and sport programs kicking up. And it's just, I think it's a big part of our culture as a city. And I'm really excited to, uh, uh, to see everybody get back into it. So best of luck to everybody who's, uh, who's coming back online here. Well, and I'm glad that uh, you'll be able to be back real soon as well, Snide. So we'll talk to you next week. Good luck on the course, and good luck as you get Elevate back and running again. ElevateLacrosse.com is where you can find some more information. We'll talk to you next week, my man. Sounds great, man. Keep doing what you guys are doing. Love you. Bye, buddy. Love you. It's Jeff Snyder, our uh, regular Wednesday hit with the former member of the Calgary Roughnecks and uh, of Elevate Lacrosse. He joins us on the Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar guest hotline. It's Pat Steinberg along with you in a potential snag, perhaps, in the NBA's return to play. And how does this affect the NHL? We'll uh, dive in on that when we come back on Pinder and Steinberg. It's Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Calgary guys talking Calgary sports. Pinder and Steinberg are only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. Some breaking and rather interesting news from the NBA this afternoon as they continue to work towards their resumption of play with everything agreed upon last week. We found out that uh, the 
owners had agreed upon a format in their 22-team return to play. They know where it's going to be in Orlando, Florida. Uh, We know that training camps resume at the end of this month with a return to play on July 31st. However, this from Adrian Wojnarowski at ESPN. I'll read you the tweet thread. As NBA and NBPA are finalizing terms on return to play plan today, there's a faction of players discussing as a group whether restarting season in the Orlando bubble is a good idea. Several dozen players participated in a conference call in the last 24 hours to discuss it. The NBA and NBPA are expected to agree on a provision that wouldn't require players to restart the season nor subject them to discipline for staying home, sources tell ESPN. The players would lose a portion of salary for those games missed which is certainly an interesting addition to the story of a pro sports league returning in the midst of a worldwide pandemic and to be perfectly honest with you i i don't have uh, an issue with any of what i just read it's uh, pat steinberg peter klein logan gordon along with you as we continue on a pinder and steinberg wednesday I don't I I don't I don't have a problem with any of that Klein like I don't have a problem with some players feeling a little antsy about a return to play or or doing this in a bubble I don't have a problem with the NBA and the players association discussing some ways around it um look I if I if I'm a teammate or if I'm a fan of a team where a guy decides that he does not feel comfortable about returning I, I think that's perfectly fair, and I also think it's perfectly fair that if you decide not to come back, that, yeah, you'd forfeit your salary, which is based on playing games. Like, like that, to me, sounds like a, a pretty reasonable solution to what I believe is a, is a pretty reasonable concern. Yeah, my, my reaction when seeing all of this was, well... Yeah, like it, it just it, it seems pretty obvious. And it's something we've talked about in the NHL, where if players aren't thrilled with being in the, the bubble situation, they don't have to go. And I think that is well within a, a player's rights. Again, you're not going to get paid for it. But if uh, I if you're fine missing a paycheck, I, I think that if you're not comfortable going, you, you shouldn't be forced to go just so that people can watch you play basketball or hockey. Like I, I, I have absolutely no problem with players voicing their concerns about this. So it, it makes all the sense in the world to me that the, the players, if you're not comfortable with it, just don't go. Like it, I, I don't think anyone should be forced into this situation right now. And, and I would imagine that, you know, the NHL would probably offer the same olive branch, especially if the NBA is going to do this. I'm sure the NHL will, will offer the, the same olive branch to their players and say, look, if you are not comfortable with this, and, and the thought is is that once everything is finalized and, and once we get dates and, and all that type of stuff and, and once we get the actual uh, 100% return to play format all finalized and, and also the dates and where it's going to be, so on and so forth, the thought is that it's going to be an all NHLPA vote and, and that every member of the PA will have their voice heard, not just the representat- representatives from each team which, again, I think is the correct way to go about it. But I, I would imagine that the NHL extends the same olive branch to their players saying, look, we, we're not going to discipline you for not coming. This is a serious situation, and, and if you don't feel comfortable, then we don't want to force you to come. We want to we make sure that this is something that, that the people are there that are comfortable, and we're going to do everything in our power to make you comfortable. But, but if for family reasons or underlying health concerns or whatever the case may be, if, if it's just not going to be something that you're comfortable with, we're, we're not going to discipline you for not coming. We're going to totally allow that. And, and yeah, we're, we're not going to 
you know, you're not going to get paid for games that you're not playing. But um, I think I think all things considered, the NBA and the Players Association sound like they're having a, a fairly mature conversation about it, which is nice to see. Yeah, and I just think of the the legal ramifications. I don't care what waivers you sign. If you're forcing players to come back and then something happens to them or a family member because uh, of coronavirus, the, the the legal ramifications would be astronomical. So the, there's just, even if you just take the human aspect out of it, legally, it'd be a tough thing to force upon players to, to make them come back during this time, especially if something, God forbid, were to go wrong. So the, there's the, there's absolutely no way you can just, in any of, the, any of these, the UFC has said, look, we don't have to pay you, but you don't got to fight. And uh, same thing with things in the, the NHL, MLB, all of these. I can't imagine NASCAR drivers are being forced to drive right now. So, no, this is this is unprecedented, what we're going through right now. You shouldn't be forced into to doing anything at this point. Curious to see how uh, this story develops and, and how many of those, how many players do indeed decide not to take part in the NBA's bubble. Once again, uh, the news today from Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN has uh, a few players not feeling like doing this bubble is the way to go. And the NBA and NBA Players Association are now discussing, um, you know, a, a uh, an agreement that would allow players not to come, uh, would not force them to to be disciplined uh and then they would not be paid for the time that they missed that's going to be a really interesting story to watch play out uh also of note some news from major league baseball logan you've got some uh, quotes from commissioner rob manfred today yeah the mlb commissioner was on the mlb network this afternoon and uh, bill shaken of the la times was kind enough to uh quote some of his uh responses today uh, covers a couple of different topics. We'll start with uh, the MLB was taking a lot of heat because uh, they had a delay in issuing any sort of statement regarding the racial protests and the death of George Floyd uh, in the United States. Uh, he takes full responsibility for that, uh, saying that uh, he was waiting to issue a statement because he was listening, uh, whatever you want to take from from that Uh uh, as far as their return to play plan, which uh, has been going back and forth, uh, some quotes from the commissioner. He believes they're going to be playing baseball in 2020, uh, 100%. He also says that they can't go into November because the medical experts the MLB has consulted uh, warn of a second wave of the pandemic. Uh, but he also has promises to TV partners for an October postseason. Uh, he also goes on to say that the best thing for our sport is to reach a negotiated agreement. It says that both sides are very, very close on ha- on health and safety protocols. Excuse me. And uh, unfortunately, the last one, probably the most realistic one about the situation, he says today that owners are set to make a proposal uh, in the players' direction shortly. Still hopes that the players will get off of their 100% prorated salary demands uh obviously that's been a big one for the players if they want to come back for a shortened season they want 100 percent of their prorated salary the owners have not been keen to give them anywhere close to that and now we find out now that they're following a pretty short timeline if they want to get a postseason done by october interesting the and that is the the biggest sticking point here kleiner is that Players want to have their salary 100% prorated based on how many games are played. The owners um, 
have been more interested in kind of um, tying it to revenue from this season uh, and not giving it the 100% prorated share. That that seems to be the biggest issue and the biggest sticking point and, and the the area where the disagreements are happening the most. So uh, that comes right from the commissioner, and it doesn't sound like he's any closer to granting the 100% prorated wish that the players have right now. Yeah, the the one that stands out uh, to me, obviously the one about the, the prorated salary demand and the players having to get off of that, uh, not great. The, the one that I uh, I like, the best thing for our sport is to reach negotiated agreements. Said both sides are, quote, very, very close on health and safety protocols. Like, ah, oh, because no one, no one here is worried that health and safety protocol is going to throw a monkey wrench into Major League Baseball's plans of coming back. It is 100% going to be a financial issue, and that's what has people so frustrated with this entire situation. And at, at this point, it's tough to take either side, it, it, six to one, half a dozen to the other, as, as to where the frustration goes. I'm I'm anti all of them right now uh, <laughs> as we, tr- we try to get back to, to seeing some some baseball played. It's interesting while um, Gary Bettman has gone out of his way to not put a timeline on anything for the NHL saying that they can start next season in January. It's interesting that Rob Manfred has really put a hard and fast deadline of ending the playoffs in October uh, for, for a couple of different reasons. And I'm sure internally there are those discussions in the NHL and the NBA as well. But for Manfred to make those public is, is rather interesting because it gives people a, a deadline and a date to start kind of working backwards from. And you're already thinking, okay, October probably going to have to be almost exclusively playoffs, especially, uh, especially if you're going to be expanding them. And you start to realize that uh, the walls are closing in pretty quickly on the season for Major League Baseball. Well, and I don't think that was by accident either. I don't think that no. uh, the commissioner just threw out that we can't play in November. And yeah, and I'm not I'm not trying to sit here and dispel the notion of a second wave of coronavirus. I don't know. I just don't think that. I think that was very calculated by the uh, the commissioner. Well, I think and he it's, put and, that out there for a reason. Well, and you're, you're right, Pat. The thing that, about it is, it's there's. There's more to that whole sentence if you look at it. Is it they're not playing baseball uh, in November because they're worried about the second wave of the pandemic? Or is it because there are promises to their TV partners to have October postseason? Both things aren't mutually exclusive to one or the other. If there's no second wave of the pandemic, why not go into uh, November if you can, right? If it's all about promises to your TV partners for having October baseball, our postseason baseball, then that's a completely different conversation than saying we're not doing it because of medical reasons. I think that's a, a an interesting thing to throw in there as a reasoning, but the true reasoning clearly uh, partners and as far as TV partners go and the money that they're hoping to make back for this, clearly uh, an underlying factor. As of right now, we don't know what's happening with the NHL, but uh, Chris Johnston told us yesterday that uh, we should have an announcement on what's happening NHL-wise sometime next week in terms of dates and hub cities. He feels like uh, they're getting closer on that. 
NBA will uh, uh, they're, they're continuing to ratify plans and, and finalize their plans to make sure that their uh, restart to the season can happen starting on June 30th. And, well, who knows what the hell is going on in Major League Baseball. That's kind of been the story <laughs> the entire time. Nobody really knows uh, what baseball's got going on and if, when they're going to figure out their infighting. It's, uh, as, as you said, Klein, it's been the most frustrating of all of the things. Like we, People just want to see baseball again. Like This is a time to... It's a time to be together and to be unified and so on and so forth, as opposed to um, infighting about prorated salaries. Do we, do we want to see baseball, though? Like, at this point, are we are we hard well, to fast to baseball coming back? To be honest, like, don't get me wrong, the PGA is ramping up. You're talking about NASCAR. MLS came to an agreement today. Uh, Hockey is going to be back more than likely late uh, fall. Same with basketball. Football is going to be starting up. I don't know that I'm going to be overly attached to needing baseball. Don't get me wrong. I love baseball. I enjoy watching it. I hope that they can find a way to get it in there. But at this point, you're sitting there fighting with four or five other sports that are going to be almost in more important situations for me. Do I want to watch you know, game 22 of a shortened baseball season? Or do I want to watch the NBA or NHL playoffs? You guys are they're screwing themselves day by day, but... I'm just curious how much attention they're going to even wind up getting if they do come back. It's well, and that, bad, that it's, is it's fair. Yeah, and, and that's uh, the the point is I, I do think that um, there there will be certainly I'll, I'll miss baseball. I, I grew up in a, a baseball first family, so it's it's always been all due respect to the, the other sports you just mentioned. It's always been baseball first uh, for for my household. But I do think it will be startling to Major League Baseball to see how little they are actually missed if they don't do a season here. That's why I think they need to do a season because right. don't you don't want them to not be missed and um, yeah yeah I, it's a it's a really interesting spot they find themselves in um, and it just uh, hammers home the point figure it out we're in a pandemic if if you can't exactly. if you can figure out the the health and safety of a season then you can figure out being able to play your season. Let's let's get this done if you're Major League Baseball, and uh, we'll see if that is in the cards in the near future. It's uh, Logan Gordon. He's at our Basement Systems downtown studio. Peter Klein, Pat Steinberg. Pinder and Steinberg rolls on next. I've uh, pissed off Oilers fans. I'll tell you why in the 4 o'clock hour, but uh, before we do that, it's time for Wild Card Wednesday. That's coming your way next on Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Let's take a spin and find out all the things we never wanted to know about our afternoon show. It's time for Wild Card Wednesday. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to the program. Final hour of Pinder and Steinberg on this Wednesday afternoon. At the top of the hour, it's time for In Conversation with Ron McClain. We'll check in with Ron just after 5 o'clock as uh, we welcome you into our Wild Card Wednesday Casino. Uh, we got Peter Klein, Logan Gordon, and Pat Steinberg along with you. We're about to uh, ask some very awkward and personal questions uh, to find out, as the thing says, all the things you've never wanted to know about your afternoon show. Still to come this hour, I've pissed off Edmonton Oilers fans. I'll tell you why before we oh, get no. to 5 o'clock. I, I don't even think I did anything that wrong, but... Um, I've triggered some Oilers fans, so we'll get to that before 5 o'clock as well. Uh, join us, won't you, on your AM dial, 960 AM, online, sportsnet.ca slash 960. On the Radio Player Canada app, you can get us on your smart speaker at home by saying, hey, Google, play Sportsnet 960, the fan, and you might as well come on through if you're able to on Instagram Live as well. Uh, we're on Instagram.
Instagram, streaming the show every day at Steinberg1984, so you can come on through and watch part of the program if you're the so inclined. The outfits are worth it. Yeah, if you want to come see Klein in <laughs> an absolutely egregious NHL jersey for a Calgary radio host, uh, you should come <laughs> on through at Steinberg 1984. Uh, Klein is wearing the old school black, orange, and yellow Vancouver Canucks V jersey. Uh, yeah, the, the old Flags v. all over the field. <laughs> Look, man, um, I, I have very much been a, been one who has talked about his love of disgusting sports jerseys and this one is at the tippy top of all disgusting sports jerseys really this bad. one this one is second only to the all yellow one that they wore as the uh the alternate to this one but uh yeah no it is absolutely repulsive and i love that i own it and it's the best 60 dollars maybe that i've ever spent so you can always watch the show and and come vomit uh <laughs> by taking a look at Klein's jersey uh, with the next hour of the program on Instagram as well. Okay, here is the premise of Wild Card Wednesday. Uh, we've got our five categories, pop culture, personal life, career, sports, and wild card. We have got uh, our virtual casino. We've got the big slot machine. Uh, we all pull the slot machine once, ask a question, then we all answer. Uh, Logan has been our leadoff man. Let's see where Logan is going first. I'm excited, Mr. Gordon. Career. All right, gentlemen, we're going a little inside baseball with this one. You need to make one improvement to the Sportsnet 960's Basement Systems Downtown Studio. What improvement Ooh. are you making? Ooh. Okay, I'll go. Okay, go um, for it. I, I would say, because when you sit in kind of the... I don't want to say the main host chair, but the, the one that Boomer always sits in and the one that Pinder always sits in, you get a clear view of the television and you get a clear view of the uh, the clock that's above it with the countdown going on. If you sit in the other chair, the, the one that um, Will sits in and the one that Pat sits in, you get a clear view of the street and that, that is about it. And while you can see some really wild stuff uh, out right. on the, the, the sidewalk at times, it would be nice to have even just a, a smaller television up there and also a countdown clock so that if you're doing an update and you need to time it out exactly uh, as I was in a spot to have to do for a bit, it would be nice to know that instead of having to like do the update while you're twisting around and looking up at a clock. It's just, I, I would like to have a television so I could see some highlights and the, uh, the clock up there so I can time things out. I'd be really curious to know where everybody would sit you know, Will, Pinder, and Boomer, if they're all in the studio together. Because Pinder right mm. now is not on, on his show with me. He's doing, he's helping on the morning show as it stands right now. So Boomer sits in the one spot, like, and, and then Pinder chair. and I have got our spots. I prefer the one that has the back to the television for what I just got more room so I can sit on my laptop. Um, like it's just a, a more roomy spot. I've got the ledge on the side. That's my that's my preferred spot. Um, but the one downside is that you don't get the TV. But I'm fine with that. I can usually put stuff up on my laptop if I need to. Um, so, but I want like where would Pinder sit? Pinder's not a regular member of Boomer in the morning, so would he get booted to kind of the third spot that doesn't have uh, our program Burley on it, or the would old he red be spot? right? Yeah, yeah the, the red, red spot. spot. 
or would or would Will move to the Rhett spot? Like Boomer's Ooh. in his spot. I'm just curious where Pinder and Will would sit in this scenario. The, the important thing to know is that whatever discussion would be had about that would be very calm and very rational and well thought out and not get heated at all. Between those two, I think it would be a right. very um, it'd be very kind and mm. um, mature conversation no, between it. them. No, I insist. You take it. No, no, no. Please. They'd set up a timeshare. They'd be like, one hour, you take that seat. The next <laughs> hour, I'll take hour. that seat. We're, we're, we're all about compromise, and, and we don't have... Um, we don't have strong opinions on everything and, and stick to those opinions regardless of uh, regardless of the conversation. Uh, somebody texts in, our company can get that clock and TV in for you guys. That would be, uh, be amazing. <laughs> With all due respect to our the engineer. The hell if Kirsch is going to pay for yeah. it. Yeah. With all due respect to our engineering team, it took a while to get the TV hooked up in here. So I believe the TV that we have in our control room is not HD, so... No, uh, we're Why? getting there. The hell would we need an HD TV? Maybe, maybe by. Uh, maybe also, if we can record in there, that would be good too. Yep. There's okay. Um, mine would be. Um, I think mine would probably be like access to um, air conditioning controls. Like sometimes, mm. like you can never regulate the temperature in that place. You're either hot as balls and and sweating because somewhere else in the building they're like we need to turn the heat up and we're like well we don't need that in here uh we're dying so you've either got that or then they jack the air conditioning up and you got to wear four layers in there very rarely do you get a comfortable temperature in our basement systems downtown studio more so in the spot where the hosts sit less so in the main control room where logan would be right now um so that would be my uh my main change would we have some sort of temperature regulation that we don't need to like have a lock and key for and have somebody from the air conditioning company come in to do like yeah, it's if nice we could that just they have a control for it that'd be nice yeah they put thermostats in here that display the temperature but you can't <laughs> yeah. adjust the temperature it's no. a blatant kick in the balls it's exactly <laughs> what it is Oh, you're hot as hell. Well, it's 29 degrees in here. Don't you wish this thermostat-looking machine would be able to turn it down for you in here? Nope. But you can see how hot it is in here. Or the fan can come on, which is as if you're in the middle of Hurricane Katrina, and there's no way to stop it. It just comes on in random times. Right. What would your uh, what would your change be, Logan? Uh, I have two. One of them would be uh, some sort of, you know, the amount of food and drink that is in this area is slightly concerning at times. A fridge, or at least just some sort of dedicated Good area idea. for us to put our stuff, like a mini like fridge or bon something. Like comes in for the morning boys, yeah. and, then, you, and, and yeah. then like five hours later, you've got like ribs or potato salad that hasn't been eaten. Best <laughs> ribs, best potato salad. You're going to find uh, this side of, uh, well, th th this side of the Western Hemisphere, no doubt about it. But when it's been out for five and a half hours, not as good. No. If you could put it in the fridge, uh, that would be that's a good one. I like yeah, just a, a little spot for that. And then we can put some utensils on there because me and Pat have had the conversation. Utensils are hard to come by here. We've got a, a little bit of an area to go to get to the closest kitchen area. And the only other thing, as someone who does overtime with you, Pat, uh, I would love some sort of either working or someone with a knowledge of the delay system on our board. It is the. It does not seem to work properly or function like a normal delay system would. There's lots of questions about it. 
its actual validity or if it's working properly or not. So if, if that could be improved I'd in like some that way. Too. Yeah. You know why? Because guess who gets in trouble when an F word gets on the air? I do. Somehow, I, Kirsch gets mad at me when an F word gets on the air. Like, how could you allow that? What do you mean, how could I allow that? They don't send me scripts of what they're about to say. True. I have very little control. All I can do is drop them as soon as they say it and apologize on the air. And if our delay doesn't work, you're supposed to have about a 10-second buffer to hit it. And well, then, then yeah, there's, like a, there's a dump button that you do it when it happens. And you, the producer's chair, you sit here and you just slam the thing. And you go, hey, Pat, did that work? And there's 500 texts that come in and just go, hey, it didn't work. We all heard the F-bomb. We're like, okay, well, that's great. That's fantastic. I didn't do it all. Yeah. Yeah. You can't let F-bombs on the air. You miss um, the F-bomb, and then it silences the next bit after. So it really just <laughs> punctuates the F-bomb that you just heard. Like yeah. at the you old station, it. you had a 10-second buffer to hit it so that it'll take it, it would take out like seven seconds on either side so if you waited two or three seconds because you don't you can't do it as it's happening we're not clairvoyant so as it's happening you can't do it but if you wait two seconds and then hit it it will cut out the seven seconds behind and the seven seconds ahead and then uh, it works but apparently ours doesn't uh yeah next time there's an f word you're in trouble Okay, yeah. am I? Because how am I supposed to control yeah. what the callers are saying? I can't, like, right. we can screen them as best we can. We can't. How are we supposed to know that uh, we're not going to get an F word on the air? But apparently it's always my fault. Um, sure. So that's uh, that's a good one. I, I appreciate that one, Logan. That's a good first question. All right, I'm ready to go. Let's, uh, let's keep it going here. Wild card. Oh, God. Ooh. Ooh. Got two for wild card. Which one do I want to do? Um, okay. What is your because now that we're back to reopening things at 100% capacity? Come on, come Friday for phase two of Alberta's relaunch. What is your go-to order? You go to a Starbucks or you go to a. Um, a coffee shop somewhere else. What is your go-to order? What is your a go-to drink at a uh, at a coffee shop if you ever go? Hmm. I I didn't. I don't I'll go get, to many. Yeah, I can get this one out of the way for you real quick. I've never had coffee, so I don't have a coffee order. I don't do coffee either. That's why uh, my go-to is uh, usually uh, some sort of green tea. Um, for instance, I'm a big fan of Starbucks uh, Emperor's Clouds and Mist. Um, that's uh, I usually do a venti of that. It'll get you two thing? ventis out of it. Two uh, two tea bags. I'll get you two ventis of still pretty good strong tea. Um, I learned that trick from Kerr because he'd always do that with his Earl Grey. He'd do a venti Earl Grey. They give you two tea bags, and you can get uh, the first the first one good, and then you can go do a refill of hot water, and that gives you a second one. Um, and then usually if I'm doing, cause I don't drink coffee, uh, so usually if I'm doing like a fancy drink, um, I'll do some sort of uh, tea latte, like Higher Ground Cafe does this Dublin mist thing. It's Irish breakfast tea, and then they infuse it with a little bit of syrup and uh, some steamed milk. It's outstanding. Um, something like that, like a green tea latte or a matcha latte. or Something like that is usually what I do. I just don't drink coffee, so I do tea, and it's usually green tea. That's, that's usually my go-to uh, order. 
Yeah, my uh, when I was doing mornings, uh, you you learn to love coffee pretty quickly. Uh, so mine was just uh, just too cream, too sweetener. Uh, after a, a much publicized love of, of French vanillas for a while, it, it just wasn't enough for mornings. Mm. So just went with the, the standard too cream, too sweetener. But oh, the other I remember day, that. We, oh yeah, because no, I definitely was, filled in what? for DeForest on like an we went to like an Alex's on Fire concert or something on a Friday night, and I had to <clears> fill in or something. And I remember Boomer specifically forcing coffee into you in different yeah. intervals as they tried to ramp you up right yeah we, we tried to we tried to ease me into it a little bit there was one day where one of the nicest people ever curtis glencross brought coffee for everyone uh and rhett told him that my order was black uh so that was trying to i didn't know that rhett had told him that so i thought he was just being nice so i was trying to not say anything and just like try to Oh, oh, it's so damn delicious. Uh, so that was that was a bit. But yeah, two cream, two sweetener was kind of my go-to. The other day, um, I went uh, went to La Boulangerie just over here. I butchered that. I'm sorry. Um, no, but you're pretty quick. La, La Boulangerie, it's pretty close. La Boulangerie. You're doing um, laundry for, is, for your wife? Literally what? is the bakery is what that, uh, right. that, that small oh. it means. It's a beautiful language. Um, but I, I was so focused on what dessert item I was going to try to get that mm. I hadn't even thought about what my coffee order was going to be and just quickly looked up uh, the C Cafe Americano, large. Because, I mean, when you're getting a drink that you're not ready for, definitely order the large. Uh, and actually, it was pretty good. So might have to try that out again. Don't know what I the believe... difference is between that and anything else, but I Americano is just, because um, that's... Somebody texted in. Funny that you guys are talking about this today. Morning guys were ripping Steinberg about his tea drinking. It's very healthy. They, they'll rip you about anything. And uh, as if uh, Will and Pinder um, are, are like, you know, boomers, boomers, boomer. But, you know, w Will and Pinder, uh, they're, they're kind of in glass houses when they're throwing stones um, because they're as easy to make fun of as anybody else. Anyway, um, but Pinder is always like he's, he's a coffee snob. So, like... What's worse, drinking Pinder tea a snob or about being something? A, I know what? it's a, every I, it's crazy single that beverage. Pinder would be snobby about something, um, <laughs> but he's always like, "No, I only drink Americanos with a certain type of coffee. Oh. I'm a I'm very very particular about my espresso." And then he rips me for liking green tea. It's like. You are the most infuriating human to be around because only things that Pinder likes are what are good in the world. Like, if if you like uh, if you like black coffee from Tim Hortons, you're not refined. I can't I can't be with no. Only if you drink Americanos from very small cafes that charge you fourteen dollars for them. That's all. That's all that you can drink. You're disgusting if you like if Make you like regular ultra. black coffee that you brewed yourself. You bought. You bought McCafe and brewed it at home? Oh, I look down on you. I'm Ryan Pinder. I have a silver spoon in mind. Anyway, um, <laughs> but, really uh, and that kit is what we call triggered. Nah, not really. <laughs> it's more, I, I just... I just like to, uh, I just like to and get back every once in a we while. We have to pass this along, too, for anyone who listens to the morning show, because I happen to knew, uh, I happen to know, not stupid English, uh, that there was a clip in the morning show folder called Klein Tries Coffee. Oh, Are you ready? So what did you yeah. get? I got oh, a, uh, a medium. Uh, I believe it's the original blend. Yes. Uh, with uh, two milk, two sugar. So have a sip. Right. Sipperoo. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, pretty good? He likes it. Nope. Uh, we'll get there. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. 
Whose voice was that? We'll get there. Was that you, Klein? That was me. Yeah. We'll get there. Nope. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> it, it, somebody texted in. Um, coffee is amazing, but black coffee tastes like regret and sadness. Like, I, I, I just, coffee to me always just like, and maybe I haven't had a lot of good coffee. I don't mind. Like, if somebody gives me a sip of, a, of an espresso drink and it's like, yeah, it's not horrible. It's just not for me. I'd rather have something else. Like, I, I don't I don't love it. Um, so, it's, it's actually kind of funny. Pinder and, and Derek Wills are very alike in terms of their, uh, you know, they're, they can sometimes be at odds with one another. One thing they share, both coffee snobs, uh, Pinder and mm. Wills, um, if, you, if you didn't know that. Um, so, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a big tea guy. I don't like coffee. You, did you, but you enjoyed your Americano, hey? I did, yeah. And I definitely from whenever, uh, I don't know if Logo can see when that clip's from, I've definitely warmed up to, to coffee a little bit more as it became a necessity for life. Excuse you me. You, mean you, you warmed up from this wonderful clip called Klein Tries Coffee Again? Nice big sip. <laughs> it's not that bad. It's yes, it is. <laughs> so you, you, what, you double double noises. or what do you got? Two. I got two milk, two sugar. Hmm. <laughs> You've warmed up from that point, Klein. Uh, yeah, yeah. I've worn. I don't gag every time I have it now. Uh, but also, we have. Um, uh, I think it's Silk or whatever the almond milk company is. They have a hazelnut flavored thing you can put in your coffee. It tastes delicious so mm. if you're at home drinking it i would recommend that because it tastes nothing like coffee interesting uh okay um well that one went off the rails a little bit um but that was uh the, did not I expect celebrate. that one to uh go that long but i enjoyed that uh, kleiner you've got the uh, final pull on wild card wednesday today pop culture all right. Um, I will fully admit I am stealing this 100 uh, percent from the Ryan Rosillo podcast from earlier in this pandemic. But okay. you are in charge of a music festival. You can pick any act, past or present, alive or otherwise, to start a music festival. Who is your number one selection? Ooh. Hmm. I uh now like this is them in their primes like we get to have yes. them okay peak of their powers. Whew. This is when Pinder would come up and just uh, throw together six syllables and it would make a band. Yeah, I went to Coachella uh, in two thousand five. Notebook, water glass, cell phone, stapler. They put together a great album in nineteen ninety seven. I never got to see them. Uh, they were signed to an indie label that's nobody ever that nobody's ever heard of before. Um, what did Ryan do to you lately? Like, is this just building? <laughs> he, goes up? To, he goes to mornings and he turns it like he's like ah Pat's teammate. He goes to mornings and he turns into a smarmy bastard. I got no time for it. Like, grow up. Um, anyway, anyways, um, I uh, I think I would go Led Zeppelin. I, I I think that like I've heard nothing but good things about uh, how incredible a Led Zeppelin live show is. Um, and so I I think that uh, I think I'd go Led Zeppelin. Like if, if you could get Led Zeppelin, like peak Zeppelin in in the 60s, 70s, something like, like that would be. That would be the one that I would start with because you would get people 
from all ages, all walks of life who would want to see that. I think that you could headline that, and you could have nothing but garbage on the rest of uh, on the rest of your lineup if you could have Led Zeppelin headlining one night. So I think I'd go with Led Zeppelin. Yeah, that's that's a pretty good answer, and it's hard to beat. But I'd probably go with someone that I, I haven't seen before, but I would have loved the opportunity to. So I'd go with Jimi Hendrix. I think that at nice. some point everybody listens to or goes to a phase where they've heard some Jimi Hendrix or can at least appreciate uh, what he brought to the music world and uh, obviously not around anymore for us to you know do festivals and stuff. So uh, probably get a chance to do that. I would probably go with Jimi Hendrix. I like both of those answers. Um, and just, again, to show the wonderful balance on the text line, one person texts in, excellent choice, Steinberg. Next test. Zeppelin sucks. So, you know, we get a good balance of opinions on the, uh, on the fan <laughs> feedback line. <laughs> excellent choice, Steinberg. The next text in oh, all yeah. capitals Zeppelin spelled sucks. incorrectly, uh, Zeppelin sucks. Yeah, love that. Um, you guys took two of my, my top ones. I am torn between... Rage Against the Machine, because I think that would be an unbelievable show. But I think the one that I'm actually going to go with, um, based almost exclusively off of just a badass Super Bowl performance, I'm going to go with Prince. Uh, I think headlining Ooh. a show with Prince would be unbelievable. Uh, but, I mean, again, all, all three of us, I, I think, crushing this one. But I'm I'm going to go with Prince for my, my number one selection. Yeah, Prince, good one. The, other, the only other one, and I'm not even a huge fan of theirs, like... I, I do think that their one of this band's songs might be the greatest song that has ever been uh, recorded, but then and I'm not a big fan of their other stuff, and that's the Rolling Stones. Like I just, I think I think peak Rolling Stones when they were at like you could get again like the, their longevity and and. Um, how long they've been a superstar band i think that you could absolutely financially crush a music festival with those guys um i i've never been like they, they haven't been um huge favorites of mine but that doesn't mean that i don't um respect all of what they've meant to uh the history of music and the history of rock and roll and i still think gimme shelter might be the greatest song ever recorded so um I, the rolling stones would have been my next one but yeah I, I i just think zeppelin would have been unbelievable to see live um yeah but, uh, and, and especially to see them in their peak oh yeah that, that would have been unbelievable and that's probably that is probably the answer so so bravo to you for that one somebody threw out boston i, I don't know like Boston had some good songs. Don't get me wrong, and and yeah. more than a feeling is is an incredibly uh, an incredible feel good song. I don't know if Boston is in the same category as Prince, Zeppelin, and Hendrix, though. Like I don't think no. in, in the in the annals of history we go back. We talk, yeah, the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and and Led Zeppelin and Boston and Jimi Hendrix. Like, wait a second, wait a yeah. second. Hold One up, of these up, things up, is up, not up. like the other. Sorry, yeah. Boston. I think I think if we're putting together a full festival, Boston is like 2 p.m. on a Saturday. Like you, you, you can have them there, but yeah, I, I don't I don't think we're gonna need the whole lighting setup for Boston. I, I think they can just come on the stage. Yeah, in they, the get of the day they get a backdrop. They get a backdrop and and a spotlight. They don't get video screens or anything like right. that. Yeah, we we've given the tech the the, the screen tech uh, a lunch break, so Boston's gonna come on and we'll be good that way. Uh, what else do we have? Somebody on Instagram Live says uh, it's got to be Prozac. 
Uh, Prozac's it's a bunch of cartoons. Uh, they, uh, they they can't even do concerts. Um, somebody threw out a, qu- a number of Queen uh, nominations on the That's tax excellent. line, and I think Queen, mm-hmm. unlike Boston, I think Queen would actually be in the conversation uh, well, with Led Zeppelin and the Stones Queen. and so so on and so forth. Um, people call Queen the, the Boston of their generation. That's a comparison that's said often. I don't know. <laughs> don't think so. You tell me when Boston has their own movie put out about them that people watch. Um, ACDC with Bon Scott. Uh, somebody with a tragically hip reference. Um, Guns and Roses. Guns and Roses. The the original Guns and Roses um, yeah. with uh, pa- with with Axel Slash, Duff, Stephen, and Izzy. Um, what else? Some hip hop. Uh, Dr. Dre and Eminem early two thousands vi- uh, versions. Biggie Smalls, Tupac. Those are all those are all good. Like to see Biggie in his prime would have been unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Of all yeah. of them. I think that would be the one for me, just because I thought the guy was just such a, a generational talent. Um, the same guy who said Zeppelin sucks, text in in all capital letters, Stone stu- suck too, lol, good job, guys. Keep it up. <laughs> um, somebody throws out the wrong answer, and the wrong answer is you too. Nope. Oh, um, yeah. That's that a nope. Correct. You <laughs> might get blocked for that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, you know what? Remember when Kirsch came on and said, now we're going to forward uh, messages to Kirsch, and he's going to then call the person to talk to them? That text is going to Kirsch. No. You cannot put you two in this conversation. Yeah. Con, That's you missed like... it, but Pinder asked the music question a few weeks back, and me and Pat bonded over our mutual hatred of you two and Bono and all of it, and we just – like that's not an acceptable answer to throw out on this text line. No, no, and I, I am uh, fully on board the the anti U two bandwagon. I am, I am uh, lo- in lockstep with you guys on that one. There's a few Thank other, you. a few other good ones and a few other funny ones in here. Like Johnny Cash, good one. The Doors, yep. good one. Uh, like, can you imagine Oof. seeing Jim Morrison live b- before his untimely passing? Pink Floyd, good one. Um, Tom Petty, good one. I don't know if I'm eyes on board with the Eagles. I just, I never was able to get into the Eagles. I, I just, they, they've never been for me. But I understand many do like them. Um, Trooper, really. Like, I know they're like, do we need to get a CanCon reference in there? The Tragically Hip is one thing, but Trooper? Yeah. Really? I don't know about that. I don't, I don't, I don't even know. If, I, don't I don't know, know if Trooper, Trooper counts. I don't, yeah, I don't think Trooper's making the weekend. Sorry. They might be like the Thursday, like the uh, the sneak-a-peek at, uh, at Stampede. If we do a sneak-a-peek for our festival where everyone gets in for a free day, Trooper might be the opener for that. As Pinder would say, I, I know that I took some shots at him a little earlier, but as Pinder would say, uh, very Coke stage. <laughs> <laughs> he always he always rips on a certain. I don't wow. get the hate for the coke stage, man. There's a there's. I've had a lot of fun watching Ben. And look, if you're if you're yeah, into... if you're going to the nine o'clock show at night, the coke stage is a good place to be. But you yeah. go there at three oh, in the point. afternoon. I mean, but even still, like there's a certain there's a certain um section of of bands that plays the the that highlights the coke stage. It's a lot of simple plan. Mariana's Trench. Jason um, DeForest is are... planning your murder right now. What's that? Jason DeForest is planning your murder Why? right now. He just named like half of his music idols right there. Hey, I, I, I quite enjoy Simple Plan and Mariana's Trench. I'm, I'm big fans. It's just that they, I, and that's not even joking. It's just that their level of fame is at a certain level. It's not, it's not like you don't quite get the bands that could. Sell out the Saddle Dome at the Coke stage is, is kind of the point that I'm making. 
Well, I mean, if we're talking ill of glorious sons who were there last year, then you and I are going to have a couple issues here on our hands. But uh, overall, you, you you have a point there. Yeah, there's there's definitely a type for sure. <laughs> Somebody throws out like some of the stupid ones that are coming in right now: the nylons or moist. <laughs> Remember moist, moist. moist. Moist was a moist was a hardcore oh. Coke band, Coke stage type <laughs> band. And Coke band, yeah. Um, big shiny, they were on Big Shiny Tunes four, right? And Big Shiny Tunes, like they had their two big songs were uh, Sliver and Push were their two big yes. ones. Uh, and then I believe Leave It Alone was kind of their last big hit. Uh, David Usher, I believe, was the head. Yeah, song, he lead, spun off singer, and did something. Lead singer. Did he really though? Well. I, it was uh, on much music. You know what? I, like Soul Decision, they would have played the Coke stage for sure. Oh yeah, Soul Decision was awesome. By Definitely that, had that. Just terrible. Uh, now the text line's blowing up, but some good ones and some bad ones. Uh, <laughs> yeah, here's some more. Here's some more Coke stage. <laughs> it's so true. I Mother Earth. Default, yep. Treble Charger, I'm Matthew Earth. Good Band. Like, these are the bands that play the car. And again, like, I like Tea a Tea Party. Like, I like a lot of their songs. There's nothing wrong with these bands at all. It's just that they're all of a certain kind of genre feel. They're very can y They're very, like, they hit a certain level of fame. They're all millionaires. They're all talented. They're all, they've all done very well from themselves, but I don't know if Treble Charger could come sell out a, a, a Saddle Dome show. I'm not sure if the, the Tea Party is jamming in 19,000 uh, to the Saddle Dome, whereas Free Show at the Coke stage, they could do pretty well. Is, is the, I feel bad yeah, now, bring... I like a lot of these bands. Just they're they're <laughs> all of a certain kind of feel. Concerts at the uh, at the dome when we're we're like at okay we can only have fifty percent capacity at the dome. Okay, trouble charger and tea party. Let's go. Big sugar. <laughs> I never got into big sugar. That was just one that I could. No. I remember. I remember when they. I think it was two thousand and ten. Uh, I remember the, the, the girl I was seeing at the time, uh, her cousin was a Budweiser rep. And so they were doing the big, um, it was like the, this big concert. Um, it was like the, the secret, uh, the secret band is going to play to kick off the stampede on sneak a peek night. And it's like, okay, you got to get here. Uh, we got you a pass to get in. Cause, cause Budweiser Labatt uh, rep the, um, Nashville North or, or did all the, the booze on the stampede grounds. Um, so it's like, we got you the, your, your pass. You got to come in and you got to see who this, um, who the, who the secret band's going to be. And people were buzzing. It was like, is it like, we're hearing it's Garth Brooks. I'm like, what Garth Brooks is going to play Nashville North. Are you kidding me? Or it's like, <laughs> oh, we're, we're hearing all kinds of big names. And then all of a sudden it's like countdowns on, it's like 10, nine, three, two, one, ladies and gentlemen, Big Sugar! And you're like, are you kidding me? I've been waiting here for Big Sugar! And then the dude with the double guitar is And he starts singing, digging a hole. And I'm like, I am leaving. It was almost grounds for a breakup right there. That was the, just the absolute worst waste of time yeah. I've ever had in my life, waiting hours for Big Sugar to come on stage and be the, the surprise secret guest. Yeah, I um I remember what was it the the one where they un- unveiled the the Coke stage lineup when they still I mean when they were still a Coke stage. Um but 
I, I remember the, I forget what the show was called, the Covert Concert or whatever it was. Yeah. And you would, everyone there, oh, well, I, I heard it might be this. And everyone is overshooting entirely. And the first one I went to, um, as we've discussed before, both myself and my now wife are, are in media and she got the passes and she, the, the band came on and she got unreasonably excited. And I had never heard of this band before <laughs> in my life. And I kept asking her, who who is this? And she was yelling, said the whale. I was like, there's, I, I, I think I'm hearing say said the whale, but those are just three words that your face is making. So like there's, there's, and it actually turned out to be that. I, like, I can't, the, the, there's the one step lower from the Coke stage is the covert concert for the Coke stage announcement. It's like, Oh, that is, that's a special kind of place for sure. The one Coke stage name we didn't uh, list off there. The, like the one that was huge when I was in like junior high and high school, Headley. Well, yeah, Headley mm. was a big one. Yeah. yeah, they're not doing anything now. Nope. <sighs> um, somebody threw out a really good one. Would have loved to see Sublime with with Brad. Um, yeah, mm. if, if to to see Sublime uh, before Bradley passed away, that would have been awesome. I don't mind the new Sublime with Rome, but to see Sublime in the uh, in the early '90s, whew, that would have been something else. Uh, that one was pretty good. Um, few other good Coke stage names before we wrap up. <laughs> Age of Electric. <laughs> so good. Uh, Age of Electric, Loverboy. Um, uh, Biff Naked. Biff Naked. <laughs> Lights. All very good uh, <laughs> stage. Good stuff. Good stuff on the text line. 40 minutes later, that's another edition of Wild Card Wednesday. This has been Wild Card Wednesday on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. One person upset at me because I'm not a big, uh, <laughs> not a big, big, big sugar fan. Nobody's saying that they're not talented. I mean, if you're able to get songs on the radio, you got to be doing something right. Just yep. not for me. Not, um, not, never once liked a song by them. It's just, it's, that's what music is. Some people like it. Some people don't. It's like, that's, that's part of what. Lots of people really despise Nickelback, but lots of people really, really like Nickelback. That's that's part of what music is. Um, good stuff on Wild Card Wednesday today. We'll take a break. When we come back, I have pissed off not only Big Sugar fans, but I've pissed <laughs> off a lot of Edmonton Oilers fans today as well. Tell you why next and see if they have any reason to actually be mad at me. That's around the corner as we move towards the end of Pinder and Steinberg. Sportsnet 960, the fan. Kinder and Steinberg continues on Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Guys, I've made Edmonton Oilers fans angry today. My uh, Twitter mentions were uh, lit up by Oilers fans today after I uh, posted my latest over at flamesnation.ca. I'd taken a hiatus from writing there, but uh, uh, back at uh, Flames Nation. And uh, essentially the the, um, gist of the story was, um, hey, Right now, there is a gray area with the Flames and the Edmonton Oilers about the status of the third-round conditional pick in last summer's Milan Lucic-James Neal swap. And I, I essentially broke it down from both sides, said that 
I don't believe that the Oilers should have to give up their third-round pick or, or really give up anything, knowing the conditions to the trade weren't met. Uh, I also said that, you know, the, the good-faith argument that the Flames would have in saying, well, there's a chance, and, and you take a look at it, there's a pretty good chance that the conditions would have been met had the season come to an end. Uh, we don't think we should walk away empty-handed, seeing as how the deal was made in good faith, and, and this is an unprecedented situation. I said, okay, well, there's, there's probably some validity there, even though... Um, I think that there's if, if you were to say who has the stronger case, I would say Edmonton because the the black and white, the technicalities of it favor them. I still say, well, here's here's an easy here's an easy solution: compensatory pick. There's a number of trades like this in the NHL that are kind of floating in the gray because of pro rating and because of uh, the season not actually getting to 82 games. Why not a compensatory pick? Maybe a compensatory fifth-round pick. Oilers give up nothing. Flames get a pick at the end of the fifth round, and it moves back everybody's pick in the final two rounds by one, which I think a lot of teams will be able to get over once you're into the sixth and seventh round. It does very little damage. Here's a potential solution. Instantly, Oilers fans all over me. Uh, I'm like, <laughs> what? What? what I like? Did you read the story? A. Um, and I don't care. I think it was. It's a fun discussion. But did you read the story? A. I'm not saying the Oilers should have to give up anything. And B. This isn't. Uh, this isn't about uh, penalizing the Oilers. This is trying to find a middle ground in the most unprecedented season in the history of the NHL for one season. If in the midst of a pandemic shutting your league down for what could be close to five months, if maybe a compensatory pick or, or, or a few of them are thrown out to some different teams in these scenarios that don't penalize the one team and do help the other team not come away completely empty-handed with a condition in the deal, if that were to happen, uh, is, is that really the worst thing ever? I don't think so. I think it is a fair and worthy compromise in these times. But... Um, for a few Oilers fans, I uh, I ticked them off by even suggesting as such. So just to, to clarify, because b- before I go in on this one, I want to be 100% certain I have all the facts, you know, need all the facts. So you were suggesting the Oilers wouldn't lose a pick. The Flames would get one of a lesser value than they probably would have had the season played out. And Oilers fans were mad at this. Yes. Essentially, Could you imagine caring? Like... Look, I, 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 like this is. I, I really enjoyed the conversation we had. I couldn't possibly imagine getting worked up enough about this to mention anyone to get into anyone's mentions on Twitter about it. Like, it's. Could you imagine getting that worked up about a compromise for draft picks? Like, I. That, that that's so crazy to me. I, I and look, I, I said before, if you want to play this out, if you want to do this by the letter of the law, Flames don't get anything. And top. Sorry, I, I do think the best way to come about this is some form of a compromise, or as you brought up, the, the compensatory round. I think that's a great idea. I, I don't think strongly enough about it to get yelled at, and I certainly don't think strongly enough about it to yell at someone about it. Could you imagine having that kind of ferocity in you that you would be that upset about that? Like that, that seems like the most rational solution to this entire thing. For whatever reason, it's like the... Well, no, Oilers, Oilers didn't uh, don't have to give up anything. Conditions weren't met. Flames get nothing. Shut up. This is stupid. I never want to hear about it again. I was, I was like, whoa, 
That's uh, your rage seems a little misplaced. And what's crazy is there are some of some of the prominent insiders believe that the Oilers will be giving up something because it has not been determined by the NHL. That remains in a gray area until all of their return to play things are figured out. The the you know the the conditional picks conversation that is for after they figure out how their season is going to restart. Then they can tackle some of those issues that are as uh, Brad Tree Living puts them on the to do list right now. Um, was like. Wow, that seems some like some really misplaced rage. Like Pierre LeBron believes that the Oilers are going to give up something, maybe even that third round pick. I don't think the Oilers should have to give up that third round pick because the conditions weren't met, and there's no telling whether or not they were going to be met. Like, I think there is just as compelling a case that season would have played out and Neil doesn't get to 21 and or, or Lucic gets to the point where um, it's not 10 more goals for Neil. If you're not familiar, the conditions where Neil gets 21 goals and 10 more than Lucic and the Flames receive a third round pick as part of this condition. Well, I, I think there is a fifth. Neil hadn't scored since December 31st. Like, there's just as good a chance the conditions don't get met than they do get met. So that's why I think, like, compensatory pick, don't make it in the third round. You can make it a little bit later on, and boom, you're, uh, you're, off, to, uh, you're off to the races. Nobody's getting penalized. Nobody's getting jobbed. It is the, the only negative implication is I, I suggested a fifth-round pick because I think a third-round pick is a little steep, and I think there might be a little bit more pushback from NHL teams on pushing um, the, their next pick back by one, and especially if you do multiple of these to continue pushing them back by one. Put it in the end of the fifth round. Basically what has happened before when the NHL has done compensation picks is it goes at the end of the, the, the round in question, and every subsequent pick is backed off by one. So uh, that's that's kind of why I was like, well, this makes sense. Oilers don't give up anything. The Oilers continue to uh, have James Neal, and, and they can move on with him. The Flames have been okay with Lucic, and, and uh, now they do get something back. They don't get completely jobbed in this situation. So that's, uh, that's why I was like, this seems like a fair compromise. Uh, but, yes, the uh, Twitter timeline did not necessarily agree. I, I just – because there, there is very easily a world where the Oilers could and should give up a third-round pick. That, that's not that that is not out of the question. Nor do I believe that would be wildly unfair if that situation were to play out that way. I, I, I do think that it would be. It's not the way I would go. I'm not going to yell at anyone about it. Like it's it's such a weird situation. Compromises are going to have to be made. They're, you're going to have to find a middle ground that kind of works for everyone. I think the the compensatory round is probably the best way to go about it. Even if you're pushing some picks back down the way, tough. Like it's it's the best way to handle what is a, a wildly unique situation. So I I think the compensation round is, is fine. If you wanted to do some kind of a pick swap or something, you could do that as well, or just a, a later pick. I just it's it's compromise, right? So at some point. You're going to have to do something that works for both sides. It can't just be screw the flames. The Oilers get all because the Oilers rule. Blah. Like that's just that's not going to work. <laughs> or and and this I don't agree with this text either that comes in says the logic and spirit of the trade was that James Neal's getting 21 goals is based on an 82 game schedule. Neither the Flames nor the Oilers changed the definition of a season. The league did, so the league should prorate everything related to the definition of a season. Flames get the Oilers' third round pick. The conditions were based on playing an 82 game season. If the season length changes 
changes, the conditions should change proportionately. Like that, that doesn't make any sense either because like there's so much gray area in that. You can't, I don't think that you can black and white say, well, now the season length has changed. So the Oilers must give up their third round pick. Like, I don't know how, and, and maybe that is what happens. I don't agree. That's the way it should go. But, um, I just feel like if they do that, it's like, well, like, there's way too much unknown in that. There, there was no guarantee that Neil was going to even meet the conditions. There was no guarantee that he was going to uh, come away with um, that, that. That he was going to come away with ten more goals than than Milan Lucic because Lucic had scored more goals in the last number of months than than Neil had. And I know that Neil missed a month because of injury, and that that plays into it a little bit. But uh, I don't know. I just yeah. Like, well, I, and, and I feel no like the fair way of doing this is is to do it with a compensatory pick. And there's no guarantee that Neil doesn't get hurt again either. Like you're, you're absolutely playing with unknowns and that's why you have to be at least a little reasonable about this, which admittedly is not necessarily a strong suit for the particular fan base in question. Although every fan base certainly has theirs. So I, I, I just think that you have to have a bit of compromise in this situation and in others as well, whether it be the, the Campbell trade for the, the Leafs, and I'm sure there are a number of other ones that have similar situations. It's a weird time. It's a it, We've never had to deal with anything like this before, so heaven forbid we have to compromise on a couple things. I just, I mean, I don't think that there's enough, like, how can you sit there and argue as the Flames that we should get that third-round pick, and, and how can the NHL say, you're right, well, like, actually the conditions weren't met and you know you take a look a little bit of a deeper look into it well he hasn't scored since uh, 2019 like uh, so i I just don't know that seems a little flimsy um and the oilers uh saying well we shouldn't have to give up our third round pick i get and if there was a compromise and maybe it was a fifth round pick then then i guess i could see that but i just the 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 compensation pick where you nobody is really penalized oilers don't have to give up their pick and the flames don't come away with nothing in the the craziest scenario that we've seen in the nhl maybe something that's a little different for this one time only makes sense i don't know i mean that's that's why that's why i think like if this was any other time like if they had played 82 games and Neil got hurt and people were talking about this, I wouldn't be suggesting a compensation pick. I just, in this case, this is the time to do things, a l- deviate a little bit from the ordinary script or the ordinary way of doing things because everything else isn't ordinary right now. So you might right. as well. Yeah, you're not talking about turning it into the, the baseball draft that's coming up in a few minutes where you have the first round and then a compensatory round. You're not, you're not giving the Flames essentially a second round pick. You're putting the, the compensation round, I would assume, pretty late on in this thing. So whatever, man. Like just there's enough to get upset about. Maybe let this one slide a little. You think this is God, not, this people. is one of those times that you can let that slide? Um, yeah, I, I think I think people could probably just like, yeah. I, it's it's okay to not yell about everything, although it is Those, nice to be uh, yelling about sports again. The 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 Flames fan who thinks that uh, they should be getting it, he's met the prorated conditions of eighteen goals in seventy two games. There were no prorated conditions though; like there was no right. there was no condition that said in case of a pandemic we will prorate based on eighty two games. That was never put in like so to yeah. to interpret that black and white and say well. This is the way it's going to go. How do you do that? You can't do that either. 
I just appreciate that we found a way to yell at both fan bases in uh, in the Battle of Alberta on one issue. I, I think that there are very few that, that you can disagree with both at the same time. And we've we found that sweet spot, and it's difficult, but uh, I think we've nailed it. Um, this reads, uh, and this is the, the best text of all, I think you guys just like talking about this so that you can use the word compensatory. Totally. Fair point. That's a really fun word to use. Compensatory. It It just makes you feel, it makes you feel more intelligent. Um, It does. And as such, I think I am more intelligent today. Klein, you have yourself a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. Logan, you have yourself a wonderful rest of your Wednesday. You can check out all our, all of our interviews at sportsnet.ca slash 960. Uh, we talked with University of Calgary football head coach Wayne Harris, John Pollock, uh, our MMA analyst, and Jeff Snyder from Elevate Lacrosse, all up at sportsnet.ca slash 960. In conversation with Ron McLean coming up next, uh, Tim and Sid at 6 o'clock. We will talk to you tomorrow on Pinder and Steinberg here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan.